In my opinion, the original intent of that ability, so for them to go out of the way to make sure that it doesn't work that way and then cause this collateral in the process, I think uh, is a clear indication that it should be walked back. I mean, obviously, Nakeem is my girl, uh, God Empress Reign forever, but the problem uh, that I think that is in play here is that it affects so much else beyond just Rage by Insolence. Howdy friends, Craig here. Uh, buckle up. We have got two and a half hours of Malifaux. Ray hosts three of the best players in the U.S. discussing Gaining Grounds 1. They go in-depth on every part of Gaining Grounds 1, from the new strategies and schemes to the FAQ, as well as uh, the errata. I think you'll find it interesting, uh, the things that they like, uh, some of the things that they don't like. Um, I think you'll find, uh, I was surprised um, at the rule clarifications that they think created new problems. Uh, so sit down, grab a cup of coffee, and enjoy. Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play, or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the Third Floor and the Tabletop Talk Broadcast. All right, welcome everybody. Ray here on the third floor, and today it's all about the M3E FAC, Arata, and Gaining Ground Season 1. Now, hopefully you all heard Craig interviewing Kyle and Matt about their goals and design decisions for what they changed. And if not, be sure to check it out on your favorite podcast streaming platform. But today's look is going to be from the other side of the fence. We have three stellar players of Malifaux, and you may be familiar with them. We've had all three on the show before. You'll be looking forward to hearing stuff coming up from Andre soon, if you have not already by the time this podcast drops. Now, our first guest is going to be Cody Hyatt. He's the number one ranked wildcard player in the U.S. of A. Cody's been on a few times, most recently with our NC Grand Tournament Path to the Podium. He just can't stop decimating his opposition. Cody, welcome back to the third floor. You've recently moved to Florida. How are things going down there? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on, Ray. Shout out Absolutely. to the uh, floor heads, yo. Yo. <laughs> Florida's good, dude. Um, I'm, it's nice and warm down here. I feel bad for you poor bastards up there in the cold. It's but... actually fairly warm up here right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, like the right. cold decided to vanish out of nowhere. It's getting in North too Carolina. hot down here. So yeah, well, well, you're I'm in Florida. Back. Uh, but <laughs> now Florida's, Florida's great. Um, I'm living in South Florida, which has always had a problem with gaming. I used to live down here like four years ago. Okay. But uh, Malifaux is making a surge here. Like uh, we had a St. Pete tournament a couple weeks ago and there was 10 players, which is good for Florida. And like all of the players started playing in December. So it's, it, I think it's a good testament to three growing the player base. Very nice. All right, next up we have Jesse Watson. He's one of our NC henchmen from the Raleigh Durham Raleigh Durham area. I can speak. And my rules interpretation co-collaborator. Say that three times fast. I can't even say that statement once. Jesse and I have had more debates over rulings, beta power levels, and the like than any other person I've talked to about Malifaux. And somehow we're still friends, I think. <laughs> Jesse, welcome back to the third floor. Have you made the jump into the vassal with the current COVID situation? Friends? Is that what we're calling this? Okay. I, um, <laughs> I, no, okay. 
That's fine. Um, well, we're working on it. We have a lot of people who weren't using Vassal before. So um, mm -hmm. this last week, I've had a couple different games that have been like, let's get on, let's play Henchman Hardcore and just walk through how the buttons work. Um, everybody's excited about auras for measuring. They're great. Um, oh, that is fantastic. Yeah. So I think we're working on it. And then the next couple of weeks, we're going to have a lot more um, Vassal play. And I've been seeing that the Malifaux community around the world is really jumping on that. So that's pretty cool. Nice. Do you think we're going to do any kind of like local league stuff or maybe even try, heaven forbid, doing a tournament on Vassal in this time period? Or is that we, you think that's a little lofty or what? We had a league that was just starting up when all this hit um, mm -hmm. that sort of crumpled. Its structure was going to be face to face. Um, at the moment, I'm going to have to talk with Marcus Moore, who's our um, newer henchman in the area, who's trying to do a lot of um, building up the community. And we're going to see uh, what we can come up with for during this time. Sounds good. And a big shout out to Marcus because he has been doing a phenomenal job demoing games and setting up the and bringing people into the community. I've never seen a man so passionate about demoing games before, but this guy, it's like, if you have any interest, you're in the Raleigh area, you're in the Durham area, uh, reach out to Third Floor Wars. We'll get you in touch with Marcus. He will absolutely sit down and play a game of Malifaux with you. And the last but certainly not least, we have Andre Demings. You may remember Andre from his crushing victory at LVO running solo Nekama. He's a powerful force from Texas, and I am dying to know his thoughts on the changes to inhuman reflexes, among other things. Welcome back to the third floor, Andre. How's the Texas meta holding up right now? Uh, well, you'd think we'd get harder, hit harder because so many of us were Neverborn players, but actually, we're, we're holding up pretty okay. Uh couple of us jump ship to Rezzers and you know amidst COVID we've all started doing Vassal games mm -hmm. uh, so as far as resiliency of a meta goes I, I think we're doing ourselves proud. That's awesome. All right well gentlemen it's a pleasure to have you all on board as I said at the start it's all about the changes that got dropped with GG1 and we're not going to be talking about this from the perspective of a meta solution we're not here to be like these are the new things you're going to be wanting to taking this is going to be more of a reaction style podcast we want to talk about what's working for us and what's not what we think were hits and what we think were misses now I know it's going to come up talking about the meta and how it's evolving because obviously it's a very relevant thing but we're gonna try to just focus on feel so with that being said let's jump straight into gaining grounds now for this episode we're going to focus on the big thing in gaining grounds which is obviously we have new strats and schemes we have four brand new strategies and eight new schemes you want to talk about a shakeup? well we got one and i want to start with strategies and cody Let's start with you, and how do you feel about the new strategies that have been released in GG1? Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Um, I think this is one of the better selling points of Malifaux, the fact that the season change like really shakes up uh, everything you were playing and thinking about before. I'm excited about these three of these strategies. Maybe we'll talk about that more <laughs> in, uh, as we go through. But yeah, I was like all in on Explorers. I painted every model on Explorers and I was like, ah, for the next four months, nothing but Explorers. And then GG1, <laughs> GG1 drops and it's like, ah, I got to get back in the dojo. I got to figure this outcast stuff out. So yeah, I'm excited. What are the three schemes that are, or the three strategies that are like the big things for you? What are you really enjoying about those? Uh, well, Symbols uh, is great. Symbols was in, in two and it's great and it's, it's, it's surprisingly deep. Um, you know, when you see, when you first read it, you're like, I just got to get over there and pick stuff up. But, uh, there's also, th there's a lot of different strategies you can implement. You know, you kind of play D for a couple turns, uh, with just having one model trying to run. There's a lot of complex complexity there. Same with corrupted ley lines. I really like that. I think it's uh, pretty deep and I'm excited to play it more. 
Um, yeah, I, I think Public Enemies is trash, and I hate it. <laughs> uh, but I also hate Reckoning, and this is just kind of like so. so there's a little bit of bleed over Reckoning. Now. So yeah. I don't know if you want me to go into that. Whatever. That's fair. <laughs> so so you would it would be fair to say that you feel because Symbols is the only one like legitimately returning. Like Symbols yeah. of Authority made, was an M two E, and actually I believe when you came into Malifaux and M two E, Symbols was like the thing. So you jumped right into that, and that was what you played until its completion. And yeah. then we shifted gears to M three. So yeah, that was the only way I could get wins is just have Memory Stalker <laughs> get Symbols while so, I lose. Uh, attrition. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. And he, I think he still basically does the same thing now. Yes, sir. Um, so I would, so triumphant return then like the, the minor modifications that was made to symbols you think work well? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's definitely a, when you read it, you don't realize how, how much you're on a clock. Uh, you really have to be picking up that, that marker on two on turn two. And that mm -hmm. is, that's difficult getting there, yeah. picking it up, and there's going to be a lot of different interesting strategies about deploying all four, especially in corner deployment where you actually have a lot of space you can put them. Right, right. I can see a lot of interesting strategies where, like, you, you still put them off on the flanks. So getting two is easy, but getting three is hard. And I think that's the break point uh, going from two to three. If you can keep someone at two, then I think that's how you win this draft. I agree with that statement. Talk to me about Recover Evidence and Terra. Oh, she's, I mean... She's competitively irrelevant in GG one, so. Oh, you just think period in GG one? She's not. She's not going to bring the the goods, huh? Competitively irrelevant. Competitively irrelevant. You so can still play her. Player, play her, have some fun with her, and rock it out. But uh, don't bring her to attorney solo and expect to win, huh? You can play her. I'll say this: you can play her in uh, <laughs> symbols of authority and corrupted ley lines if the schemes are uh, a few of the debtor ones with Vendetta and Hidden Martyrs because Cyan of the Void is still the best uh, Vendetta model in the game and sure. he's pretty good at Hidden Martyrs too. So if you really want, you can take her for that. All right, hot takes from Cody coming on the uh, Terra plays there. Now, Jesse. Now, <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, um, we have uh, Corrupted Ley Lines has a bit of a uh, little, might be a little bit of a salt mine for us because we actually did some testing together because uh, I was part of the play test and, you know, NDAs and all that jazz. Um, we, so we did Corrupted Ley Lines play testing in the beta and then out of nowhere, there seemed to be this last minute adjustment to the whole strategy. Um, how do you like how it's evolved? Uh, I do not like the timing of what you laid out. To be even more explicit, we played something like hours before the drop. That's <laughs> fair. And our version was completely different from what came out. <laughs> um, and so that just, that bugs me from a design perspective because I, I don't know how much testing really went into it. And sure. I think in the end result, I was more bothered by that and the strategy still basically works. Uh, I think there are still some what I call blue screen of death scenarios, however, mm -hmm. that needs some resolving. What if I bury your last significant model? And before oh, you that's say fair. that's highly unlikely, um, play against marshals when they're bringing a berry list. Yeah. Yeah. That's a feature. Um, it could be a thing. And so it, it bugs me, but I've come to terms with it. And I think it's an interesting, uh, interesting strategy. That's going to have a lot of back and forth. I, I like symbols and recover evidence, um, they're very clearly, very clearly trying to structure it out and make you take your time scoring the strategy. Mm -hmm. um, I want to see how it plays out and how many times people have that sit and fiddle scenario. Yeah, where my I'm... model is where they need to be, 
Now what do I do with it? I do a jig because, yeah. you know, there's not much else I can do from here. And I've actually, I've already run into this problem. I had models in position ready to do their thing and I just didn't want to do anything with them because they were where they needed to be. And that we've had conversations about that, you and I, about, you know, things that when you have a strategy or you have a scheme or anything in a game that like your purpose is to do nothing with what you have, that it doesn't feel good. Moving on, we have public enemies, which seems to be a no man's land of kill and be killed. Um, but it also feels like a very win more strategy. Andre, what do you think about that? Uh, I would actually disagree with that. I feel like public okay. enemies bring something to reckoning that reckoning obviously didn't have. And that is not only must I kill my opponent, I must survive to the end of the turn while having killed my opponent. Because usually you'll get those first few big activations out, you know, one, two, or three activations, and that's where all your killing happens, and then everyone devolves to scheme running in the last few activations. But with this one, if you, you know, if I have a mature that kills something early, uh, I have to feverishly keep him alive to the end of the turn, and that adds a lot more, I would say, nuance to the strategy in comparison to Reckoning, uh, because not only do you have to kill people now you have to stay alive to do that and so that that changes what models you're bringing um because you can bring a big you know murder machine like langston or something like that but if you're not bringing somebody to back him up you know like a guardian or something like that to take some of the heat off him he'll just go down like a sack of bricks and then you don't get any points for the strategy right because at the end of the day regardless of what you killed unlike in reckoning where all that mattered was that it died here when something dies you get those bounty tokens and it's the bounty tokens that determine whether or not you score a victory point. So the shift to tankier crews, you know, what I like to call bruisers. Um, I talk about this a lot in my 10 Thunders chat. We uh, The bruiser model is the model that can put out the damage but can also take it, but isn't as good as a dedicated damage dealer and isn't as tanky as a dedicated tanker. Mm -hmm. It's kind of that point, that middle point. And so uh, that's what we need to start looking at for public enemies, is, you, you think? Oh, absolutely. Um Having already played, because uh, I did a lot of the beta testing for public enemies as well, having to hold those tokens uh, until the end of the turn um, made me start to seek, uh, well, Masters that weren't Nakima, mostly because we, we just can't guarantee that we'll be alive at the end of the turn. Um, like, a lot of a lot of what Nakima would do would be, like, last-ditch, like, I'll kill this, I might die, but it's going to be worth it. But you can't do that here. Um, so starting to seek models that have a lot of tankiness to bring to the table and then have decent, respectable killing power um, is what I've been seeking uh, it, you know, for public enemies because you need to. And the other part of it is not having like one or two big beaters uh, because they can't hold all the tokens because they'll give them all up uh, to score a point. Uh, so you want to you want to spread out your tokens so that you can score turn to turn and keep those models alive uh, once you get your tokens. Do you think that this is going to encourage uh, elite crews or n not elite crews because of that very fa uh, concept? Because you have to stay alive until the end of the turn. I mean, it well, because you don't want to have all your tokens loaded up on one or two <sighs> models because it makes those models a liability. Do you think that means that we're going to see a little bit more breadth of of hiring that, you know, more seven, eight model crews and less, you know, six, seven model crews? You know what I mean? Um, well, at least for me and the Texas meta, we've always run elite um, models that die are just a waste of stones as far as we're concerned. 
And so we've been tending towards Elite anyway, both for the fact that they can stay alive to the end of the turn more likely, as well as less likely to give up the bounty tokens in the first place. Uh, so I think as far as a killing strategy is concerned, this will definitely lean towards Elite crews, in my opinion. Can I jump in on Public Enemies because I, I loathe it? Yeah, absolutely. What you got for us? Yeah, so um, the reason I loathe this, well, I hated Reckoning because it doesn't, it doesn't force space. I think strategies that don't uh, force you to go anywhere are a little weird because you can have just standoff matches that like Jesse and I have definitely had where you just sort of stand in each other's deployment zones because you don't want to concede points uh, to gain points, especially now that if you kill something and die, you score no points. Uh, I think this strategy is, is pretty terrible because it's pretty easy to write a list where you have to table me to score the fourth point. And then when you add in the fact that your models can die before they um, before they score the point, and you can sort of overscore on a model, like if you bring a double master, it's pretty easy to write a list where you have all nine or higher stone models and then a bunch of one or six, so that even if you do, say, kill a master on turn three, and you get your three points, you only needed two this turn because you didn't kill anything turn two because it didn't let you, uh, and then that point's getting wasted, you know, because you scored three, you have to remove all the all the tokens off of a single model, right? Um, even though you can keep it on different models. So there's lots of easy ways for you to just bleed points. So I think the average score on this strat is going to be like 1.8 or something, you know, just to make up a, a number. And I think um, the reason I don't like this strategy is because it is not going to have a lot of differentiation. So uh, Jesse, you're the Ed side. PhD. So that's the right, that's the right term, right? So like when you're designing a question in like a test, right? Uh, differentiation is like the difference between, uh, is my question predicting, like, are the A students getting it right? And the F students are getting it wrong. If so, then you have a, a something that is providing differentiation. I don't think public enemies does this because it's going to be such a low scoring strat which may be good for the game because, you know, differentiation isn't the only thing that matters. And it's good that it does require you to bring different crews, but I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> My um, sort of partner concern to that, um, I'm not spitting quite as much as Cody is, but I'm not a fan of it because I think it narrows the options at a highly competitive level. I think this is much more narrowed in terms of what lists could possibly work. And Andre, you were getting to this where you've got to be able to survive and kill. Okay, so you just cut out half your keywords in a faction, just off the table, period. Cannot do. Um, like I look at family and guild and I'm like, yeah, they can murder and die back. And it's just like they're just <laughs> going to give up these points. Like they, I can't. And, and so I have to focus. And it, so I think what it ends up doing is narrowing your options quite a lot into what is actually going to be competitive. And I don't like to narrow options. I like to remain with a flexible game. I think it also moves closer to the, you know, what you see in other war games where so much of your game is decided before you put models on the table. It's decided in the list you build. Right, because like if someone drops a levy on the table, just as an example, who's like the supreme kill engine and never dies. Right, they bring um, a demise replace list. Yeah. Yeah, which has like eight or nine public enemy points. Yeah, period. So you have to table me to get the third point, which is the same. Yeah. <laughs> so translation, Outcast don't play Levy. He sucks. He's terrible under public execution. Yeah, don't yeah. ever bring. Him. <laughs> <laughs> so let's. I, I want to so let's. Uh, having both sides of that coin there, I want to move on to schemes because 
like this is the second half of that equation though right so like we so we've addressed the concerns about why you know public executions is either good or bad uh depending on which side of the coin you're sitting on but the schemes are supposed to kind of make that up right so andre i'm gonna have you start off here like and let's go ahead and stick with the tone of like public public executions if you were playing into a public execution pool what are some of the new schemes that you would want to see versus like a scheme you would like no don't bring this here it's it's not wanted uh well uh, i get the feeling i'm probably the beater lover in the room but uh <laughs> i like let them bleed um the idea both as the user and defender against let them bleed um ironically adds a lot of nuance to the game because it's you know you just you target the two biggest beefiest models that aren't the master you beat them down to below half you score the points it sounds simple but the problem that they run into is that if you 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 have to get them below half but not kill them um so you have to in the same way as public enemies you have to be able to survive saying hey i'm gonna punch you in the mouth but not so hard you die um and then score that first point and so i think that tends towards um you know, making decisions you wouldn't have made otherwise. Like, I've played games with this already where I've had, like, a brutal emissary stomping around, and then he drops to, like, one wound, and then the enemy just stops attacking him. And I'm like, what What are you doing? And so over the course of the turn, I, I start dumping healing into him, and by the end of the turn, he's back up to six health, and I'm like, oh, you're trying to run? Let them bleed. And so they, they now have to sit down and be like, well, do I let this guy live and not and try to score, or do I try and kill them off just so I don't have to worry about them because it's like if I have to run all the way across the map to go stab that guild steward or domador to make sure I can score let them bleed I'm not sure it's going to be worth it um so as a as a defender against the scheme it's nice but as an attacker it's also uh fun to try and figure out what healing they're going to try and bring to get them back to above half and see if you can counter that anyway so I love let them bleed a lot uh now ones that you won't take uh, take prisoner. I mean, it's still garbage. It's always been garbage. <laughs> garbage. Take prisoner's bad. Um, we have we saw the math to prove it. I know that Craig released a who's taking what schemes analysis, and uh, take prisoner was like by it and far away, just like the worst scheme. Um, and I'm not surprised. Like, it's hard to get people separated unless you already know they're going to try and run off away from their crew, and it continues to be hard to set up by itself. Um, and then beyond that, as far as new ones. Uh, I don't like ru- runic binding very much. Um, unless you have like a like a tot like a not a bomb model like von Stuck's totem or Angelica or something like that, getting like the perfect triangle of scheme markers in place without the enemy just being like, "Oh, you're trying to run this. I'll pick it up." is very very difficult because having to like defend three different scheme markers in a triangle around a crew is just monstrously difficult to set up. So that's probably my least favorite of the schemes. I mean, Runic Binding was the one that Kyle and Matt split off from the original Corrupted Ley Lines, which again, uh, if you haven't heard the uh, podcast where Craig interviews them, they talk about this. Um, and I kind of agree with you. I'm not a huge fan of the scheme, but I'm actually very glad that it is a scheme and because I can't imagine that as a strategy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, so those main points, I'd be terrified to try to run that. Oh, I would, I would probably just, I would, there'd be so much salt. The salt mines would flow. My nickname in the NC May would become Salt Bay. I'd just be flipping tables constantly like, this is impossible. Um, <laughs> Jesse, how about you? What? What are you looking at as your favorite new schemes or why and why? Well, let me defend some schemes. <laughs> um, oh, here we go. No, uh, I, I'm an oddball. I really am. I'm, I may be like one of five people who actually liked supply wagons. 
I saw, all right, so I did yeah. like supply wagons. I um, thoroughly enjoyed supply wagons. Could, I will, I will die on that hill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I liked, I liked that. I like for the str- the complexity to reside in the strategy and the schemes mm-hmm. to be a little bit more straightforward. And that okay, so that's that an colors a lot of my takes here. Let, sure, get that out there. Um, I actually do take take prisoner, but I also run <laughs> like I I run a lot of lists where I'm going to have to be able I'm going to be able to obey you, basically. Sure. I'm gonna have so you options. can facilitate. And if it. I don't have an obey, I'm not taking take prisoner because that's silly. But <laughs> if you have the obeys, it's suddenly a lot easier to do. Um, but would so you I, say lore also would work in that case? Uh, I or think is lore it... would work as well. Um, typically, I just say why lure if I have a model that could obey. That's fair. because I could just obey you to walk towards me like the lure. Only this time, I'll make you charge and hit a friend along the way. Sure. Yeah. Um. And runic binding, I will say something that helps it out a lot is uh, it's three or more friendly scheme markers. Make a square, make a star. Um, and there are some keywords that absolutely will litter the table with markers. And so it's for those keywords, but absolutely it's a niche thing. Some keywords will run it, others just will never go near it. And I, I think that's okay for something to reside in schemes. I, I think that narrowing is a good place to have in schemes where you go like, yeah, I built a list that's never going to run that fifth or that fourth scheme. As long as it doesn't get down to, it can only run two of these. Um, uh, I'm good with uh, Let Them Bleed. I like um, I like the five that they kept. Um, and oh yeah, we already talked about the rest. I don't like Catch and Release uh, especially. And Sabotage just has way too many qualifiers. Talk to me about catch and release. What about it? Like, I think we're we have similar vi- viewpoints on this. So but I'd like to know what what doesn't trip your. I like for the schemes to be consistent in what they're doing from point one to point two, and catch and release. You just have two completely different games going on, and you know it fits the concept of catch and release. But I don't like that as a scheme, um, because again, I want the complexity to be in the strategy, not the schemes necessarily. Cody. Yeah, um, just to play off what you two said. Yeah, Runic Binding is a dead scheme, but that's okay. Uh, it is good that it's like fine for hucksters and like whatever Jesse's stupid model is. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 weird, the weird thing about that is three enemy models. Is, yeah, that's That's tough. an insane amount of models. That's going to be really tough. Yeah, that's the really tricky bit. Uh, that's why it's dead. Um, yeah, I didn't think about the catch and release. That's actually a really good point that I also agree. You just gave me an opinion that I didn't know I had. Uh, <laughs> that I don't like that it ha- that it's different for the first one than the second one. Uh, I think it's a good well, scheme. Well, l- l- let to me take. pause you there real quick and clarify. It's not that it's different. It's that it's thematically different. Like yes. because like a lot of these schemes that we have have different ways of scoring between the first point and the end game point. But the, it's almost like they're derivatives of each other. And I th- then the issue we have here is that this is not a derivation. This is just, hey, do this random thing. Okay, now do this random thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it would it make more thematic sense if it was like the second point is if the chosen model is on the enemy table half and not engaged by the, I don't know, the model that it caught. Because then it really would be catch and release. And now it's just sort of catch and run or something. I don't know. At least then it would have sort of a narrative uh, through line. But yeah, I get what you mean. Um, I don't know. So um, my general consensus about these schemes is that the second points are a lot harder. And there are mm-hmm. a lot of schemes where if you do not have activation control, if you do not have last activation on turn five, then 
you pretty much can't guarantee that you'll score the point. And in a close game, that is a very, very hard thing to orchestrate. Um, so I think, like you said, take prisoner. Take prisoner is generally pretty dead. Um, but then when you compare it to all these other schemes where the, the second point, you have to have last activation. You basically have to have it for research mission, even though it seems a little harder. You basically have to have it for spread them out. You have to have it for catch and release. You have to have it for uh, sabotage because they just have to drop one enemy scheme marker. You have to have it for hidden martyrs. Hidden martyrs, that second point is way harder than you think. You know, <laughs> it is. Um, you almost have to have it for claim jump because... So many models have like a stat six or seven lore or whatever. You basically have to have it for take prisoner. Uh, you know, you in vendetta, of course, because you, you have to hide that model. Well, to less extent, but to, so for so many of these things, you need the activation control. So the things that stick out are the things that are going to get played more. And then you're going to have to only pick one of those schemes. I think that, um, that has where you have to have that activation control. So I think, so I am really angling towards leave your mark. Uh, that is like such an easy one to score. Um, breakthrough. It's in, like breakthrough to me is the one that um, uh, it's like, oh, I didn't realize how good we had it in GG zero because now, now I'm like, <laughs> oh, I really like breakthrough, <laughs> you know, because I, did, I wasn't taking it much. And now I'm I'm really looking at breakthrough. So I like them overall. And I really like the, the, like Jesse was saying, where certain schemes are for certain crews which is cool. Like research mission is not for everyone. You know, runic binding is not for everyone. And I kind of like that. Yeah. Like just like runic binding dead scheme. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's rough, but I also, again, there are like the, the 5% of players that are of my mindset. And when I'm playing a Nelly game, my table is just littered. I have extra ski markers just for when I'm running Nelly. Uh, and then it's like, yeah, you're going to stumble into runic binding. I'm going to have a, just a bevy of choices on which markers I'm picking up. But most keywords are not going to do that. That's fair. And then same thing with like, you know, stuff like research mission. Like when you get like a Rasputina on the table and suddenly, or a Titania even, right. and suddenly it's like, oh, well, this is going to be fairly trivial for me to score. And then you look at like, you know, pretty much every other master in the faction and you're like, well, we're probably going to pass on this one. Andre, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I actually like Research Mission a lot for the people that you could play it into, because at the same time, not only is it a tiny player going, oh, yes, I can school this with ease, the player across the table is also like, oh, this is going to be easy. It's, he's, he's got markers <laughs> everywhere. Um, so I actually uh, like that for both sides of the ball, because if it's going to be easy to score for one player, more often than not, whatever marker that, that player's cheekily deciding will be everywhere is also probably going to be on their own table half, at which point it's fairly trivial for the opponent to score as well. So I actually en end up liking that scheme a lot. Uh, I think leave your mark is a win more kind of scheme um, because if I have control of the center of the table, I will continue to have control of the center of the table. Um, yeah, because with fair. the initial, at least for Texas minute, it sounds like we got a bunch of schemers here that I wasn't aware existed, but the uh, <laughs> usually there's a scrum in the center and once somebody fumbles and crumps and then the other team takes over and then you have dominant control of the center of the table. And if you have that, you're already winning. So why not just score, leave your mark while you're at it? Yeah, absolutely. It's like, I've already pushed you completely out of this area. Let me just get my free points now for exactly. doing so. So one scheme that hasn't come up at all. And I just want to touch on briefly, uh, spread them out, which is kind of the new harness, the ley line. What, what are people's thoughts on that? Cody? I think it's, um, 
one of the easiest to score schemes in the in the packet, and it's going to be everyone's going to take this one. It's easier than harness the ley lines because there's so many. If you get incidental scheme drop, like it's 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 like almost better than search, especially in corner and flank. Because if you have any sort of like, if I play a Parker crew, I am 100% taking this because I'm going to kill a model at some point and it's going to drop a scheme for me. Now I just have to have, I kill two models and then find that nice little spot to put the third one. That's, that's easy points. Uh, I'd say, yeah, it's, it's your lazier scheme and that's okay. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you got to have one scheme that's kind of a, like, a, uh, you know what, I don't want to think too hard. Yeah, you don't have to explicitly build for it too much if you know you're going to be crossing that line. Uh, if you're bringing mm -hmm. a gun line, eh, maybe not. Now, is it completely on the opponent's side, or is it just on? Can you drop it on the center line? I don't. I actually don't remember. It has to be on line. the enemy table half. It does not say completely. So, so you can treat this almost like a harness the ley line if you even wanted yeah. to. Yeah, and it's even more flexible. Right, and that's why I think Cody's right. It's it's easier... I mean, it's got the 10 inch limitation, so it does, it's, you know, limited to. Yeah, yeah. If you're playing Tony, you're probably but, not okay. running this scheme, but, you know, false claim is false claim. Um, Res Tony could just rock the socks off of yeah. the uh, yeah. leave your mark instead. So. Mm -hmm. And to, to come back in on this, I feel like spread them out uh, is really easy if that's what you build your crew to do, but it's part of like it's part of a meta that usually runs a bunch of beaters and then incidentally tries to run schemes. Trying to get that 10 inches apart to drop scheme markers uh, can be a pain if you're expecting to brawl. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you're doing like public enemies, for example, um, if I have to choose between spread them out or leave your mark or uh, let them bleed or whatever, you know, vendetta, spread them out's not going to see a ton of pick in a killy meta or an Achilles, um strategy, I would say. So it, it has its place. Like, I like spread them out, don't get me wrong. Um, but it's certainly not something where I'm like, oh, spread right. them out, I'm resting easy right. now. But to Cody's point earlier about, you know, getting things to literally spread out models, you know, if it's going to be something like yeah. uh, symbols, you already. Um, where you've got to, or corrupted, where you've got to travel. Or even it's corrupted like idols, there. it's like you still got to, you're still traveling to BFE yeah. at some point. So it's like even that one facilitates because yep. just off two idols alone, you can get two ski markers outside of 10 and then you just have to get that third one somehow. So it's like to Andre's point, you can kind of almost incidentally score that as long as your opponent's not putting too much pressure on you. But I, again, that kind of comes down to how you're constructing that crew though. So it's like, if you are hit going heavy elite into somebody who's got activation control, that's that's definitely not going to be a scheme you're going to bother wasting AP on because you got to murder the other person's, you know, little dudes. So for the five schemes that stayed, do you guys like the picks? Would you have, is there any scheme that you feel is missing? I know Jesse, you commented earlier, I believe that you liked the five that were left here, but is there any that you thought that were missing or that should have been, I guess? I think they're fine. You need to rotate out, um, but you also need, you know, some core ideas kept. And so I think they represented a decent range of ideas and Vendetta and Assassinate serve very important purposes. So I'm okay with it. Uh, I don't, there's no scheme that I would argue is like, you, you should have kept this. It's like, well, look, things need to rotate. Things need to swap out. So what purpose does Vendetta serve? I'm interested by that. Uh, so when I am building as a TO, I'm trying to think very carefully about giving at least two preferably three and four paths to victory for teams. Uh, and so straight up killing a target 
is something I want to leave in there as an option, but I get really tired of putting assassinate in everything. Sure. So that's what vendetta would be for. Uh, is I you know I want to give you a straight up kill a guy option. Um, so I might leave vendetta instead of assassinate and swap them out a bit. Um, I think it also gives play to some mid range models and gives them a role where otherwise, you know, it's master and then whatever beaters are joining the master for the dive, this gives other people jobs. Um, so I, I like it for that. That's really cool. I didn't think about that because I never take Vendetta, but that I can understand why it's good to have it in like sort of the options. Uh, and, and like what Ray was saying at the very beginning, but with um, public enemies, I think that if TOs structure the pool uh, you know, with a bunch of sabotage, spread them out, breakthrough, you know, all of that kind of stuff that forces space, then public enemies can become an interesting game. But, you know, if it has just like assassinate and leave a mark, then it's, uninteresting. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. okay, we got what's going on here. Andre, yeah. do you think anything that got left out or anything you would have liked to have seen stayed in? Uh, well, I think I speak for everybody when I say that I really miss Search the Ruins. Um, <laughs> the uh no no i think for the most part uh everything that they kept i think is good for the game in that take prisoner is the scheme that makes other schemes feel better about themselves and the other four <laughs> are pretty solid that is now the official new title of that scheme <laughs> all right gentlemen well i think overall we have a pretty solid group to choose from i think we all agree that this you know while we have varying perspectives based off of our meta experiences, of course, um, we feel that the scheme pools are fairly solid for GG1, um, that we're going to see some interesting shakeups in the meta and that it's going to be a good time regardless of whether or not you like playing the Elite BD Crews or you like doing crazy jank stuff like, you know, Jesse or whatever broken shit Cody's going to do. <laughs> 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 yes, sir. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break and then when we come back we're going to dive into this fact when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping Kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week you can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time Kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply All right, welcome back, everybody. Fact time. There is a lot here. Most of it feels like clarifications we needed. A few stand out, though. A couple feel like they might actually have been erratas in disguise. Jesse, you and I, together with the NC Henchman, wrote the temporary fact for our meta. And actually, a couple of other metas did end up borrowing and using that fact. So we already had a kind of idea of stuff that was going to get uh, clarified coming into this. Was there anything that took you by surprise? We talked a lot about state-based effects or what we called state-based effects. And for me, it was really surprising that like they rule challenge, which is an example of a state-based effect that, you know, we were like, yeah, that's totally stackable. But Last Breath didn't get that. So I, I don't know what's going on here. Did anything else catch you by surprise? Um, yeah. 
for the most part, no. For the most part, they actually just went with the same decisions we had, which were um, aired with a lot of henchmen from other metas feedback and conversation. Um, the state-based thing, state-based, by the way, was a term that we basically assigned to a number of these abilities that didn't define whether or not they stacked. There was just no clarity on whether or not. And the choice that has been made is to go case by case. Like with challenge to say, okay, here's explicitly the rule for challenge. But as you said, it leaves out last breath, which has the same basic problem. Um, and, is, you know, things like that, that can end up being unresolved down the line. And so I wish that we had just identified like problems and created a rule solution for that rather than going case by case on the cards, which feels more like a drift back to 2E where you have these distinct abilities and you have to remember exactly what that card does. Um, so I just wish we'd centralized that a bit more. Um, there are no rules, however, that really just, well, <laughs> hmm. I didn't react too badly to all the rules, but there are definitely some that create some questions. Actually, let me back up what I was going to say. Um, but I think Andre had some particular thoughts on that. Ah, that's what we're calling it. Particular thoughts. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, my, my biggest concern with the FAQ was the uh, enraged by insolence interpretation um, mostly because it felt like a you know like you said earlier an errata in disguise with another model's definition because now to say that it's not the model that the text is written on opens the gateway for things like Sun Quang's my loyal servant trigger on his heel healing the same thing he healed the first time or Ricochet being able to ricochet into the original target because it's not the rifleman that the text is written on um, is just obviously not where the original intent of another was coming from. And so to... At least our perception of it. Sure. Well, I mean, to read My Loyal Servant, it says another model other than this model is pretty clear that they didn't originally mean another to exclude the model that the text was written on because they went so far as to clarify, but also not the model the text is written on. Um, and so to go out of their way to be like, oh, well, we're going to make this blanket statement that ends up kind of shooting ourselves in the foot over the, 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 you know, the range of models in the game to say that, well, Nakima can't take the attack because it's not another Nephilim that isn't dying, but another Nephilim that isn't Nakima, I feel like was a, a, a misguided attempt at bringing her power down. Um, and I think that they're going to have to walk back at least their blanket statement on that FAQ to be like, well, we meant it here, but not other places. So just because I, I feel like this is a pretty serious hot topic, I'm going to go ahead and read that particular fact entry just so that we can make sure everybody that's listening is on the same page. So it's in section nine under Neverborns, the first fact entry for Nakima or Nekima, however you pronounce it. I don't know if that's been clarified or not. Someone who li- <laughs> someone who listens to Bayou, who listens to the Breachside broadcast, tell us what it's supposed to be. <laughs> can Nekima push and take a melee action as a result of a friendly Nephilim model being killed within range of her enraged by insolence action? And so the fact answer for that was no, another always refers to not the model from which this text is written, except in those instances where the model in which another is written would not always be a legal subject of the sentence, such as another scrap marker or another enemy model. In such cases, another will never refer to the previous legal subject. 
So what the, the translation for this is, as Andre is saying, is that so that means that if something just specifies another with no other qualifying target notifications there, without any target qualifiers there, it just means not the model that the ability is originating from. And Correct. And the problem with that is because for like my favorite example, Ricochet off of the rifleman, because uh, the rifleman otherwise would have been a legal target for the ricochet uh, to bounce off into. Now another means not the rifleman, which means you're perfectly fine selecting the target again. Um, so to shoot them and then, you know, magic bullet JFK style ricochet into the same target and continue to deal damage because as they said in this FAQ, Another always means not the model the text is written on, and the rifleman is a legal target besides that because it's not, you know, another scrap marker or things like that. So that's how that ruling now stands, and I don't think that's intended at all. I mean, obviously, I feel like Ricochet should be not the target, but within three of the target. But with that interpretation, that's now how that stands, and I think that's a mistake. Yeah, my brain keeps trying to take the very last few words. Another will never refer to the previous legal target. And go, but, 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 but that in such cases means that only applies in reference to the earlier sentence. It's not a global. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's problematic right there. So let me throw out the question just, and not necessarily be a fire star, but that's exactly what it's going to be. Is that really a problem? So let's like, so let's take, let's take the examples <laughs> that we have right now. So like healing energy, healing energy, eight inch range. Target heals one, two, three. Then for the Ram trigger, my loyal servant, another model other than this model, which is, you know, now redundant, which is now redundant within three inches of the target heals one, two, three. So that, so basically what that's just saying is that you're going to, you're, if you get a Ram trigger, you're going to get those two healing flips. Um, is that really that big of a deal? Like, I, again, with Ricochet, Ricochet does like a one, two, three. So we're buffing the damage slightly for like a Frontiersman or a Shastaya, uh, guard. And I think there's a Bayou, there's a Bushwhackers maybe, or there's a couple of Bayou models that can do it. Is it really that big of a problem? Or is it just that it could potentially be a problem because there's other things we're not thinking about? Like, where, where does this actually live? I think that Ricochet is going to be a bigger problem than you anticipate simply because it's going to come in in those big places where when a rifleman shoots at someone and it's like, oops, the red, and I flipped a two. Well, at that point, the rifleman, heaven forbid he was burning a focus there, he's going to get a plus flip to both damage flips on the same target, and a six-stone model is going to end up dealing nine damage, assuming you didn't red, um, to uh, a single target for one AP, and that is that does feel unintentional. Pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah. There's also Sam Hopkins is going to light you on fire each time he damages you and can control for the ricochet because he's a hench. Um, Shastar Vidya Guard are going to be rolling in focus as well, and they've got the same sort of scenario going on. Um, I, th I think there are enough cases where there are cheap models that suddenly just spiked in damage, if that's doable. I don't. I don't think it matters if it's if it's too good. Um, it's clearly unintended. And like um, the first time someone says, uh, "I'm actually going to ricochet to the same model," 
I mean, this happened in War Machine. This literally happened in War Machine where a model could ricochet to the exact same model. I remember this now in the beginning of third edition where you could like, it was basically the exact same ability. Well, actually, <laughs> pushes up glasses. Uh, I can I can have a target the exact same model because it doesn't clarify. And of course, they call it, I mean, any, the purpose of rules is to, um, you know, sort of ease this sort of interaction between two people who could be complete strangers. And if there's ever rules that causes strain between those two people, then then obviously that's unintended, which is which is what this does. I think that's so. a really valid point, and I don't think this gets brought up often enough. Cody is that the rules of a game, generally speaking, we're not talking Munchkin here. But the rules of the game, generally speaking, should not be encouraging animosity between players based off of lack of clarity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the issue is here, is that it's quite obvious you can now argue that Ricochet can just double tap instead of actually thematically Ricochet. And when someone who doesn't share that perception sets on the other side of the table of you and your three guild guardsmen, you know, or your three, your two guild riflemen, sorry. Um, and then you double tap two models off the table because you happen to have a 13 and 12 Rams in your hand and they both have focus because guild steward, um, that's going to be a real negative play experience. And it's going to create animosity between those two players, not because of anything the players are doing. The players are just playing the game, but because the rules were not clear enough to prevent this kind of misunderstanding. And I think that point probably more than anything is, you know, or that lens probably more than anything is something we need to be careful of, especially when we're making rulings. And I, and I think we do do that when we're doing home facts and stuff like that. We're trying to find things that are going to leave the less, as, as little salt on the table as possible. But this is not one of those situations. And I guess my, to, to clarify, like, I believe obviously that Ricochet shouldn't work like that. Uh, but in the same stroke, I don't believe uh, Enraged by Insolence should have worked like that either. I think the clear intention of the original wording was to say that other than the model that has just died may push up and take the attack. Um, and indeed, to even point to earlier uh, revisions of Nakima, she originally had something like a mother's rage off of the Spawn Mother, in which only Nakima could have taken the attack. Um, so to evolve to a place where Nakima's, you know, telling others to go fight them in vengeance since she just stands there looking on as a proud mother or something is not, in my opinion, the original intent of that ability. So for them to go out of the way to make sure that it doesn't work that way and then cause this collateral in the process, I think, uh, is a clear indication that it should be walked back. I mean, obviously Nakima's my girl. Uh, God Empress Reign Forever, but the problem uh, that I think that is in play here is that it affects so much else beyond just Enraged by Insolence. Yeah, this seems like a, a point where they wanted to errata, but they found a way to FAQ, like, and they might have sort of, it, it may just be sort of a near miss, but I don't know. Hopefully they'll clarify it soon. I'm sure, you know, shout out to the the people in the Facebook comments of this episode posting that are screaming at each other right now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, get clarified pretty soon. Yeah, and, and by and large, especially, you know, props to Matt and Kyle. They have done a great job of responding well to the community and have providing a great serviceable product, you know, pretty much from the get-go. So it's like when you get a near miss on something as complex as this, it's not – it's fine. It happens. 
Um, there's yeah. so many iterations that like, you know, you might catch in the first few times you played a game, you might catch in the first 20 games, but you may not catch into the first like 500 games. And I think they even make that point in their, uh, in the, in the podcast I keep referencing that where you talk to them. And so again, I recommend you very much go listen to that podcast because I don't feel like this was like a, that this is like, Oh, oh my God, what were you thinking? I think that it's just an unintentional near miss that is Probably pretty easily correctable, but I guess we'll see what happens in time. But we're going to go ahead and move on from that. Jesse, I wanted to kind of circle back about something. You mentioned earlier in, in some of our discussion that this fact felt a little bit more like an errata at times. And I just want to, I want to hit on that a bit because I, I like the thought process there and I don't necessarily disagree with it either. But like, what do you mean by that? And like, can you give a couple of specific examples regarding it? Sure. Um, in general, this plays out like a fact and is answering the blurry questions, but there are a few places where their answers to quote-unquote blurry questions are actually adding words to the book that didn't get written into the book. And I, I think that's a little bit of a trap because that means somebody has to read the book and then read the fact, as opposed to read the book and play and use the fact if they hit one of those blurry, unsure spots. Uh, and I guess you know an example of that would be the falling damage. So, I mean, the book does not draw a direct line between falling damage and um, being assigned to anyone. And a most literal reading of the book would say that no one gets credit for falling damage. Um, because it basically falls into the same category as hazardous. If you push them through the hazardous, they take the hazardous damage, but I don't get to claim that hazardous damage if it kills you. Well, falling, I, apparently I do get to claim falling damage. And it's just one of those things that I wish that was a line in the book rather than a line in the fact. Uh, and there are just a couple of odd places where that pops up. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And um, I would add that it's definitely it's definitely a real pain in the butt when you have to double reference stuff. Uh, and there's no sort of like to Jesse's point, some of the errata is or some of the FAQ is not only just an errata, but it's also like balanced decisions that are made in the sense of FAQ uh, decisions. So like there's no like sort of three like line. Like the Nekama thing, for instance. Yeah, there's no sort of three line of logic that you can just sort of like read the book and then translate directly into playing the game and and thinking that only the cards break the rules because there's also the, exactly. the fact breaks the rules, which is a little awkward. I, I, don't, I don't know. It, a game like this is super complicated to sum up, though. So, I, I mean, I can't fault them. It's not necessarily it. a negative thing, per se. It, it, it's one of those gray areas where it's like, this would have been better if maybe it was put here. But just due to the literal complexity, this game has the heaps upon heaps of complexity. It's like, we kind of get it, is, is kind of the thing, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's definitely hard to... <laughs> to sort of collate all of this uh, in your head. <laughs> I'm just reading through all this FAQ stuff and I'm like, what does this mean? Okay. What does this potentially open up problematic in the future? And Andre's definitely pointed to one of the things that's problematic about just sort of whole plated making these sort of balanced decisions and then not thinking about how it affects the rule book in its entirety. I was going to, to add to that sort yeah. of building on the, you know, the complexity of things. One of the things we were trying to go to in this edition was to move away from hundreds of unique abilities and unique effects to more standardized rules. 
And one of the things that jumped to me here, and we tried to get at this, we've already spoken about some about, you know, mm -hmm. trying to introduce a status category or something like that, a state category for some of these effects like challenge, last breath that are persistent, but they're not conditions. And or the inability to heal is another big one. Right. And there are a number of these. It's like, you know, does that stack? Does it not? There's no clarity in the book. And they're handling it on a case by case basis, which takes us straight back to 2E, where you have to know, okay, for that rare model with last breath, what is the explicit rule for last breath? And I can't use the logic from these other very similar, you know, effects to apply because right. each one is now being treated in a unique way. And I wish they had taken that opportunity to say, look, we have these, all of these things, they have the same basic problem going on. Let's add a paragraph to the book that answers that problem. I definitely agree with that statement. And especially like to take the two examples that you took. And I think we've, we've brought them up a, a couple of times already in this conversation with, with the FAQ is like challenge versus last breath where last breath doesn't stack at all. Um, but challenge does and but last breath can be against multiple targets as well so it's like it works almost exactly like challenge does until you try to do the same target twice and so like and the issue with like challenge obviously is challenge is a bonus action so the same model is never going to be able to challenge the same model twice i don't think there's anything that allows that is there Actually, there is. Oh, okay. uh, if you reactivate a rabble riser with Molly, it can challenge the same target twice before they go. Ah, so what happens in that case then? Do we have? <laughs> so do we interpret that per the challenge rule? That well, or do we interpret it per thing. last breath because I it's from the same model? <laughs> it specifies in the FAQ's answer. It says a model can be under the effect of two different challenge actions, provided they are generated from different models. So they did actually cover their base there. Okay. So that's a positive. So it seems like the general consensus is that they're saying for what we're referring to, what Jesse and I have referred to as state-based effects, have to come from different sources or apply to different sources. So like last breath can go, hey, you can hit two different models, but you can't apply it against the same model twice. Challenge, you can't apply it against the same model twice unless it comes from two different sources. But again, that, that almost feels like we're in errata territory and now we're back to what jesse was saying and why is this not a paragraph in the book about like how this how these kinds of things work out yeah because what about false claim now i false claim twice am i affected twice by the need to discard markers same model same source yeah, and now it doesn't now it doesn't because obviously the question is this the statement everyone's going to say is yes you absolutely have to remove two markers. You do not get three markers for two AP for free. Uh, all for all, yeah, I know you flip cards. You guys get what I'm saying. Um, but oh, oh no! As a regular false claim user, I go ahead and discard a marker every or for each time I use it. But I'm sitting there looking at it every time. But there's there's, there's argument. argument for it. Yeah, like yeah, and we don't want arguments. We just want people playing games and having a good time. <laughs> If someone was trying to post up against me on the opposite side of that argument, where it was like, nope, state-based effect only happens once, I would argue that because it affects a different scheme marker every time you pick it up, that that is the case in which you would have to pick up one marker per action. Oh, that's fair. I'm, and I would buy that argument. But again, 
we're kind of in more interpol interpretation category yeah. and less in this is exactly how it should happen. And here's the rule that says you and I could go back and happen. forth on that legally, but I think it's not the objective of this podcast. <laughs> Probably not. I think at the end of the day, we don't have a problem with the FAQ and we think that, and, and I'm kind of speaking for all of us here, but I don't think there's any disagreements to be had. That like 85-90% of the FAQ we don't really have a problem with. It's just the clarifications we're looking for. There's just a couple of points here and there that kind of make us go, uh, was this an errata? Was this like a change? Do we did this open the can of worms that needs to have its own mm -hmm. section in the book? I think the biggest issue is that they were inconsistent across multiple topics, like another being a fantastic example or the falling damage being a fantastic example uh, where things that are interpreted one way, <clears throat> clearly one way for certain cases and not for others means that it's really hard to use the FAQ as precedent for uh, making right. other rules interpretations. Um, it makes it hard to solve future problems. Right. When the FAQ comes out and it becomes more difficult to interpret ambiguous rules scenarios... That's a problem. Yeah, there's a mess there. That was a good. It's a good line. We should get that in there. <laughs> sure. The power of editing. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to go over what we thought about the errata changes. Howdy friends, Greg here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com, that's with one M, or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the Third Floor sent you. If you use the promo code Third Floor Friend, all one word, T H I R D F L O O R F R I E N D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. And we're back and going right into the core rules errata. Not a whole lot here. There are a couple things that need adjustment. Obviously, we have the trigger generating a charge issue resolved now. Spoiler alert, you can't declare triggers on the action generated by the charge that's generated by the trigger. Don't know how anyone was ever confused about that, but anyways, we did a complete. The, they did a complete update to replace, which was intended just to clean it up and make it work as intended. But there's something a little extra added in there. Cody, why don't you talk to us about? Yes, yeah, so um, on replace, there's a lot of um, text in the actual errata document, but I think the um, the effectual changes are pretty small. Uh, the biggest one is that there used to be a call out in the line where if multiple models were combining into one model, you would take the highest value of the conditions uh, that had values. Uh, and that would be the new condition value for the 
new model. Now that specific sentence has been removed. So the reading is that you combine all of the conditions that have a value into one new supercondition with all of the new values. Uh, this obviously has huge impact on Sandeep and Hamlin, especially now, we'll get to it later, Hamlin has been received a little bit of a buff in one of his models, but this is also a buff because he can have all of his rats focus with his bonus action, which just let them take an action, and then they all combine and you can have like you can easily have like rats with rat kings with like focus seven or something crazy like that. It's definitely not hard to pull off, and it definitely has impact for Sandeep as well. Where if you're combining all of those burning into one big fire golem, you're combining all the focus. I mean, <laughs> that's really that's really good. <laughs> it seems seems like that's something that you might want to do. Yeah. For me, the uh, the one that jumped out at me was actually I totally forgot about the Voltroning on Sandy. But when I first read it, I was like, "Oh, that's an interesting buff to Corfi," because <laughs> I'm bad at this game. Yeah, so I don't know what what it, what exactly. So I've had in our local chat here, we've had a lot of back and forth about the Corfi stuff. Can you just sort of explain to me, like I'm five, how that works? Because <laughs> even I don't really understand exactly how things function now. For uh, if she's like flipping back and forth between one to two, I, I feel like most people who are not super savvy with the game could use a quick diagram. <laughs> I mean, I think I could probably use a diagram for it. So my understanding of the situation is, and Jesse, you will be my uh, my assistant here because you probably know the rules far better than I ever will. Um, if you're combining then you're just you continue the activation as you know no big deal like regardless of if the second core fee had activated or not you're just going to finish the core fee duets activation now when you do the combine the big thing is going to be okay so what happens when it separates um and most of that has stayed the same the one new model becomes a target of any effects um, that targeted or chose any original models, such as schemes, et cetera, et cetera. That's not something that had ever, that didn't change really. Um, but if any of the original models had activated, all new models are treated as having activated. So if you start with the core fee duet and you split off, you're going to pick one of those models to be the original, to continue the activation that you're currently on. But the new core fee duet that just popped, the, the other one that you don't pick, that one is treated completely as having activated. I would actually argue in the reverse based on their interpretation of manipulative and when it drops. Because manipulative, as per the FAQ, drops at the end of activation because that is when the model is treated as having activated. So because the core fee splits in the middle of its own activation while not actually having been treated as activated, both core if you get to act individually. Ooh. That's an interesting point. I hadn't considered that. For, for all, the listener. New, all new models <laughs> are treated as having activated. Which sounds... I think that's a tough line to get which around. Which would be great if the core feed duet was treated as having activated in the middle of its own activation, but it doesn't as per the manipulative FAQ. That's actually accurate. That's actually a very valid point because the whole point with manipulative was like someone had asked the question, if I activate, do I no longer have manipulative? And the answer was no, you don't treat as, you're not treated as having activated until the end of your activation. So, same thing comes up with guard. Um, if I try to attack you, I get 
you know, guard gets a bonus against models that have already mm. activated. But if they're trying to do something against the model that's currently acting, that model has doesn't count as having activated yet. Oh man, really? Yeah. Okay, so it just ends up panning out that they act the same as they did previously. They just have to like backdoor their way into acting as they always. Yeah, I, I actually don't remember how they used to be previously because I never actually used that ability. I'm my Colette list list is so bizarre, but I run Corfi Duet and two Corfi, so I never actually did the combining or uh, or dissembling. That was just not something that ever happened. To, so. You're saying that it used to work that way, where it's like, you know, hey, you could activate Corfi A, then activate Corfi B, they combine, become Corfi Duet. Corfi Duet continues its activation. And then next turn, Corfi B, or Corfi Duet, can activate, do its things, decombine into Corfi A, and B, A finishes the activation, and now B also gets to activate. I think the most powerful application of the rules here. Uh, that was and still is, is that you will start off with a Corfi duet, activate, take two AP, and then split off into two Corfi, and then the second Corfi, which doesn't count as having activated, then immediately recombines and takes another turn as the Corfi duet. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, there you go, Cody. Summed up and simple, right? Yeah, I, I understand it less now. <laughs> i'll just i'll just play levy and like kill it i mean that really that's probably the correct answer but like so that's a very good point though andre is that like we talked about ripple effects in the previous section about some of the faq stuff but things not being treated as having activated until the end of their activation that makes me wonder what else is going to like kind of like fall into that category because I would never have thought about that. No. Like with the, the, the guild guard is a prime example of this. Like if I'm disengaging from, you know, a guard that gets, uh, I forget, what's that ability called Jesse? Pursue. Pursue. Yeah, pursue. So if I'm disengaging from a model with pursue, they don't get the bonus to that stat because you are not, you are not activated. Right. It's it's one of those sticky points. I had to figure it out for myself just a couple of months back. And even then, you know, it's easy to forget just looking across all this. I'm glad you called it out, Andre. Um, ugh. Yeah, Weirdness. very finicky and counterintuitive because you're like, I'm going to activate. And then you do things. But you're like, nope, don't count. Well, well the first thing you do is activate your model. Right. Exactly. But you so haven't you activated. But you haven't activated. You've activated, yeah. but you're not activated. Not right. really. It's like yeah. Schrodinger's activation. You're activating, I guess. Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's like, you know, I am activating this model. And then at the end of your activation, it has now activated. Which is fickle, but I, I mean, I'll allow it, I guess. <laughs> I mean, all we can do, I mean, this, I mean, just in, <laughs> I'm, I'm, this is hilarious. We're in the errata section, not the FAQ section, because I'm even more confused right now. But uh, <laughs> I think it's definitely a good time to remind our the listener that uh it's the responsibility i guess of the players to just play the rules as worded it's the responsibility of the tos and stuff just to tell them um how you know what's the best sort of interpretation for all of these sort of questions that we're bringing up like i know make sure everybody's on the same page yeah yeah as long as we're on the same page it's all good Yeah. yeah It's a game. We're all here to have fun. We're all here to have a good time. So make, it, then, make the best decision you can and have fun. 
And so as an active TO, here's my, my push to all the players out there. Um, please communicate with your TOs and understand where they're roughly at. And whatever they call, that's their call. Don't say that Third Floor Wars said whatever or blah, blah, blah on, on a podcast. Whatever that TO calls is their call. Just if you're worried about it, talk to them in advance and get square. Yeah, and, I, and I'm going to reemphasize that because we've had a couple of people. And please feel free to reach out to us if you are looking for an impartial answer. Or even better, throw out, you know, self-plug here. Throw out a question to us that I can answer on the Solo Tantica podcast because that's kind of the whole, you know, point of that podcast is I do the research and then I answer the questions as you know best as we can. But we are not a rule source. That being said, we are, we can advise how we would do things in our meta, and we advise that you do things the way you would do in your meta, and hopefully those sync up. And if you like the way we do things, and you've talked to us and said, "Hey, that that, that sounds cool, cool," feel free to you know carry it forth. But we are not a rules authority in any way, shape, or form. We're guys that move toy soldiers on the table. <laughs> we just do it with regularity. All right. So moving on further into the rules errata, um, there's a little change to, to the damage timing. I don't know if it's actually something that is going to be of uh, particular relevance for most things, but I just wanted to get everybody's thoughts on it. Have you guys read through that? I have, and it's been a rules point that I've long debated on the forums, and so I'm glad to get some clarification, even if it doesn't work like quite like I wanted it to. Um, well, tell us, what, tell, tell us what the situation was, and then how this clarifies it. Okay, so the initial problem was resolving like damage and healing that wouldn't occur in the places they would want damage and healing to occur. So the big example that I can make it most clear in uh, is what I was calling Phoenix Troopers, which is when you give a Draka Trooper from the Fry Corps uh, Servant of Dark Powers, which would give them the rule that any time they kill something, they heal to. Uh, so the question was, what happens when a Draka Trooper explodes on someone and kills them? Do they heal out of death? And mm. if you could interrupt the timing with other models having to resolve their damage, then the answer is yes, you could totally do that. But now that I have to completely resolve the Draca Trooper's death before I resolve the damage on anything they do uh, damage to in their, you know, death rows, now they definitely die and then resolve the explosion damage elsewhere. So healing them when they're not on the table anymore is relevant. Um, so basically it gets rid of people being able to explode so hard they live, uh, which I, <laughs> I respect that decision. But, you know, there's some cool factor loss there. I, I will agree. Like having, as you call them, Phoenix Troopers, I'm, I feel bad that I never thought about that. Like that would have been amazing. <laughs> Get a paint scheme going and everything. Cody, you have your new uh, Freedom Troopers to do now. Phoenix Troopers. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Phoenix Free Corps. I want to see it happen, man. Yeah. Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, overall it was important that they clarified that. And I think they clarified it in a relatively readable, straightforward way, um, which was important, I think, because there was a lot of up in the air on what happened first. So I think they did a good job in the damage timing rewrite there. Awesome. I didn't even, act, so not knowing that that was a thing, I totally agree with you now. Um, God, man, I wish I had known that was a thing, though. <laughs> Always finding new tricks. Always finding new tricks. Well, not anymore. <laughs> now they just blow up, and then it's like, you know, be Oh. Well, the, the comedy... 
and errors ensues when you have Phoenix Troopers on multiple sides. If I blow up and kill you, do I get the credit to heal out of death and time? And then do you then explode? And there was there was a lot of questions that came up. It was just like, oh, this is dumb. We just have to, you know, <laughs> die once and call it a day and then move on. Good riddance. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, the only other one from the rules I want to kind of go over is Barry. Um, there was an adjustment to Barry that's kind of interesting, but I think, I, I guess it really did need to happen. And that is, uh, their laugh off planted roots and other abilities like that are now maze for the purposes of Barry. So if your model with laugh off is buried, you actually can unbury it if your opponent controlled the berry. Because previously, I guess they couldn't because you it was a place. And laugh off says you don't you can't be moved by your opponent. So your opponent's like, I'm going to place you there. It's like, nope, laugh off. I'm staying buried. Yeah, I think um, how this was resolved before was that the unbury effect would still trigger because uh, no. I thought it was like that the unbury effect would still trigger, but it couldn't be placed. So it would just sort of, I think it would just sort of stay in sort of this nebulous area, but it definitely seems a lot clearer now with this addition. Yeah. Cause it's, and the same. And so, and I think the thing that's interesting about it is that they specified specifically for buried only. Um, you may unbury. So it's not like they changed laugh off planned roots or staggered or anything like that. They just said, hey, if you would be unburied, but could not because you have one of these abilities, you still can. We're letting you go. We're letting that happen there. I think that was just an unintended rules consequence that they're just like, mm -hmm. yeah, we probably need to fix this. Yeah. Yeah, it would come up specifically in scenarios where like, because laugh off thankfully is a choice. But things like uh, the the roots, uh, I don't know, Bad Juju has it, Planted Roots, I planted think. Planted Roots, yeah, Bad Juju and Mysterious Emissary both, I think. Yeah, they would they would actually get, like, robbed because, like, if you have, like, the Brutal Emissary bury them, he's supposed to unbury them to base contact when next they activate and pass the Willpower Duel. But because they were literally unable to take that bury because he's doing it, the best they could do is argue that the, well, instead of unburying your deployment zone was a friendly effect and then they could unbury in their own deployment zone but bad juju doesn't want to unbury in its own deployment zone if there's a scrap going on in the center of the table but he's just like yep i have this ability that i can't get around so i'll see y'all at home and it was not to his benefit which i think this rewrite did hit on the nose what that ability should do right uh, so i think they did good here all right moving into the faction errata we have a lot going on here and what I'd like to do is touch on each of your factions of choice. Like, we all play a variety of factions, but we also have kind of our focuses that we do. Um, Andre, I wanted you to lead us off with your opinions on Inhuman Reflexes. Uh, well, I knew it was coming. Uh, I'll, I'll lead off with that. I think... Soften the for, blow a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you, if you have time to say goodbye to a loved one, that really helps <laughs> helps me cope. So I feel like... You've gone through uh, all the stages of grieving. <laughs> exactly. I'd gotten to acceptance by the time they had released it, so uh, it was it was fine. But, I, I mean, the, the big issue with it, I think, is that people were so frustrated by the ability because it would interrupt their turn um, and mess with their plans that I think this was definitely a high public enemy. I don't know if Butterfly Jump was as impactful as everyone you know screamed it was, 
And maybe it was, and that's fine. Uh, with that in mind, though, they originally tried to give us Quick Getaway as the replacement for that, which was just like a suited defense-only trigger. And I thought that was nuts. And I was like, no, 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 no. So the, the reason that it became Scamper is because I like soapbox cried like a baby to get that uh, change to something a little bit more usable. And I think, honestly, Scamper is still good. Like, it's still a good ability. Um, if you've ever played Namatucket, you'll realize how infuriating it can be. And there's still a lot of, like, Reach 2 models that Neverborn have access to that would still want Scamper. And there's actually some scenarios where Scamper will come up where Butterfly Jump wouldn't. Like, if someone's trying to cheat simple duels nearby, you can still get some positioning gimmicks in there and, and uh, get an advantage. Um, but I, I still think it's definitely not as strong as Butterfly Jump overall. Um, but I think it needed to happen so that, you know, there was that kind of public vindication, I guess. Um, but that being said, I still think it brought down a power of the power level of a lot of, um, of the more common users of inhuman reflexes, Nakima being a big one. Um, because the big, the, the big difference will be like, if she's getting attacked, for example, by like the valedictorian who has a lot of high stat attacks, uh, to bring to bear and she's only defense five, there's a very real chance that the valedictorian with enough focus will never have to cheat to hit Nakima, and at which point Nakima will just eat the full attack routine of Valedictorian, which would have never happened under Inhuman Reflexes. Um, but that being said, I'm still going to take it on Nakima. I, I still think it's good, and between that and Spite, she still has a lot of punish for cheating to hit her if you flip low. But um, it definitely makes you think twice about jumping into melees with certain people um, whereas Butterfly Jump would have been the, you know, absolutely reliable safety net. So as far as bringing the power level down without making it an unusable upgrade, I think they did a good job. But it's definitely making me reconsider maining Neverborn for the future. Now, Andre, I thought I thought there was a little bit of a missed opportunity here, with, considering they were going ahead and changing the upgrade. And you let me know where I'm wrong here, but... To me, Neverborn is always read as a faction that excels in the melee-to-melee interactions. They just have so many rules where they get a leg up there. But so many of the Neverborn players are constantly complaining about range and how if they go into guns, you know, all of our keywords just get stomped. We don't even have, like, an option. So to me, it, it, it seemed like since they were changing inhuman reflexes, which just made you better in the melee, like, I mean, like, it helps a little bit into range, but in general, it just made you better into melee, especially if you got that two inch melee range like you have on so many things. Why not replace, uh, you know, butterfly jump with something like concealment or bodyguard where you get cover in a bubble or something like that? Do you think like something like that would have um, made it where you're still taking this upgrade? Or, but I guess you're still taking this upgrade if you're, I don't know. Right, yeah. If if someone's like, dang it, Andre, you're going to run Nakeem this tournament and there's nothing, we can, nothing you can do about it, then I'm, I'm still going to take the upgrade on her. But that's more so for like the Blade Rush aspect than anything else. And then there's, yeah, and there's a lot of stuff that you can get away with using Scamper in. And most, time, most of the time, Butterfly Jump was used intimately for me. Like, I've never had a problem with shooting crews with Nephilim because if, if anybody can shoot me, they're by definition in fly with me, walk, charge range. And at that point, at best, if they're a shooter, they have gunfighter, which is still, you know, stiff armable with a two inch reach. 
so I never had problems with shooting crews, Fuhatsu notwithstanding. And uh, so, you know, if that if that is the cry of my fellow Neverborn, then you know, I, I I definitely hear how Scamper is not helping them at all anymore. But the as far as what I used Butterfly Jump for as a Nakima main was in melee repositioning. Um, so I didn't lose out much on what I needed the upgrade for, I would say, um, because most of the time I was already in melee. Like if I'm getting shot at like five and six times before I've reached a melee, I already feel like I've done something wrong because usually I'm engaged turn one. Like Nakima's usually taking a swing for me turn one. And so shooting crews have never been able to be like, able to put down a ton of damage at the 12 to 14 inch range uh, because I'm usually in their face if they're in, if they're in that range. Uh, so I think the, the in melee aspect is where I was most concerned and that's where we lost our power. Okay. So yeah, it sounds like it doesn't really change your strategy in any sort of way, but um, just brings you down a little bit, which I guess is the goal of the errata as just as a definition. I'm going to go on my, like, you know, crazy, you know, insane thing and go, it had nothing to do with Nakima. It had nothing to do with you winning LVO with, you know, crazy elite lists that abuse the hell out of inhuman reflexes. They just didn't want Marcus to have four different sets of butterfly jump on upgrades because that shit is busted. And if you don't know it's busted, you haven't played against a good Marcus player who puts four butterfly jumps on the table and makes you just cry bitter, bitter tears. Speaking of crying and bitter, bitter tears, I heard that Stitch got nerfed into the ground. Do you agree? Uh, no. I think <laughs> I think Stitched A deserved it, and B are still plenty usable, and in some ways more usable. I, I actually so shock here. Based off the discussions we've had so far, you might not expect this, but I agree a hundred percent with you. <laughs> Yeah, my opinion is that uh, they changed Stitch to the point where it should be, where it, it's like if you have a 12, you are going to summon the max amount of stones you get out of that 12. If you have 11, you're going to summon the max amount of stones you get out of that 11, all the way down and up, uh, instead of sort of leaving stones on the table, if you will, to get that extra stitch, you know, that third stitched out just because they were so good. I think now they are good and they you will still consider the other summons based off the card you have in hand. I actually like that angle. That's not an angle I had necessarily considered, but I agree with that. It's like Stitch were auto summons previously. Like you didn't, you know, generally speaking, unless you already had three. Um, I know there's going to be some debate about this, and I actually am part of that debate because I summon Insidious Madnesses all the time. Um, but a lot of people I knew that weren't ta talking about, it's like, it's just, you know, people just some stitch, 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 because they just, they bypassed everything. Now they don't bypass anything. And now we're back to, okay, so I'll summon stitch if I can afford that because it's still good. But if I have the card to get that insidious madness, I'm going to go get that insidious madness now because stitch are not busted. Yeah. Like the, I'll the defense change is like the one that's like so obvious. Like why was a sack of meat ever defense six? <laughs> defense six. <laughs> that was the thing that blew my mind every time. It's like I've killed like five stitch this game and there's still three on the, the board and third five. It's like because waiting through this armor one def six is impossible. That's what were you going to say, Jesse? Uh, just, you know, from a grander scheme this reduces the tank slightly reduces the tankiness 
of um, this keyword, and I think will push people towards you know going for the insidious madnesses, which are awesome models in their own right. Oh, they're incredible. Um, and you know, not trying to do with nightmare what you would want to do with Nikima or what you would want to do with you know your brawlers. It's like, look, let nightmare do its own thing, which is a high mobility you know scheming thing. They can do combat, but there are other people whose whole thing is combat. Let them right. be the combat guys. And so I, I don't mind at all if this makes more space for um, those more schemey maneuvering control models to get into play. I think it's good for, the, good for the faction. I agree. And Andre, you mentioned something that I want to touch on. You think that this actually kind of in, in, you know buffs them slightly in kind of a way. And I want to get your opinion on why you think that. Uh, the big change that makes them actually more useful, in my opinion, in certain scenarios is that because it's an attack versus willpower that is now incredibly consistent, um, you're actually going to get a lot more feed on fears off mm -hmm. uh, because you're going to have, you know, whatever models you throw into the melee, if they're taking a beating, uh, previously Stitched would just deal their, you know, 8 to 10 damage and call it a day, but now they'll deal a little bit less damage because they're actually affected by accuracy modifiers. But now they're also going to be handing out healing while they do it. And it also gives you very reliable opportunities to hit summons, uh, you know, and unbury them onto the table as well. So I think they gained for Dreamer specifically a lot of utility uh, because he loves his failed willpower duels so much. And I'm going to add on to that, that in addition to that, um, from the nature of it being... Uh, a duel now that does, like you said, is affected by accuracy. We do have focus now that could potentially be something that's on there because there is some sources of focus in Dreamer's crew. And being able to, like, you know, hey, I've got a focus stitched here now, like, puts a little bit of fear into somebody, especially because we still have the ability to take a card from that's been removed from Lucid Dreaming and cheat it in, which I, is that's still, if I'm remembering correctly, that's how it works now, right? It's now cheating? Correct. So that's another sideways buff because now you don't have to use the card unless you need the card and it's less hand pressure. And you're also doing one less card flip off your deck. So it's less deck pressure because now you're not doing a target number to get the ability off and then flipping your card. You're now just doing a duel. So yes, you suffer from the defensive effects, which you should have always had to suffer from before, in my opinion, but you got so much out of that. Yeah, it's a rare change where the addition of the willpower and all the things you were talking about, um, they give both the Dreamer player the feeling of a little more agency and the people playing against Dreamer the feeling of a little more agency, which is just sort of a perfect change, I think. Moving to Gil, Jesse, we've gone around and round about Dashiell's power level for a while. You might have heard us mention that he and I butt heads uh, once in a while. Um, this is one area in particular that's been a voice great contention between us because, especially because I'm an Asami player and he's a Dashiell player. And so that, you know, the Jorogumo versus Executioner conversation comes up very frequently. Um, but there, those changes to the Dispatcher have kind of evened the field a little bit for us because we both kind of feel about the same way about him now. You want, you want to talk to us about it? Yeah, he got better. He got a lot better. <laughs> um, yeah, so Dashiell. I have been playing a lot of Dashiell and, you know, Ray and I have had these back and forths and we've just looked at games and gone, this was almost much better. He just needed something to get him. And what it was is, you know, he's the best summoner in guild. Okay. Uh, and if you ranked him against other summoners, he was, beer, he was B tier. 
um, because he's just he was missing that something else to get him up a notch. The consistency, really. And you know, I still, you know, I've never lost a tournament match using Dashel, but I've known every time that if I had had a Sami or if I had had um, Sandeep in the same place, I'd have won the same game and faster, just more reliably. And that was the thing. It's like I, I won, yes, but. He's still struggling. Um, so what Dispatcher gives you is the answer to basically all of your needs in guard. Now, um, you had two big weaknesses is guard. had all broken. <laughs> uh, guard needed to use cards. And it, as with every summoner, you need at least one high card. Guard actually needed reliably two high cards a turn. One to make sure that you got down the marker that you could summon off of. And then another to get your summon. Um, well, you don't need to push that so hard anymore. Uh, first off, if you would use an enemy marker, um, you can instead use the dispatcher. And then if you would burn that marker, you draw a card. Now there's a couple of avenues for doing that in guard, but basically we've just added three to four cards a turn without too much sweat to guard. Seems good. Um, so, okay. The quantity and quality advantage of your hand just improved. But also, you can use the Dispatcher as an enemy marker, which is what Dashiell needs to summon off of for cheap, for reasonable price. Which means Dashiell can now much more reliably hire those, or summon in those high-value models, which were before, you know, sometimes unreachable um, because of the way his summon mechanic works. So the Dispatcher got a suite of upgraded defenses, Got this ability to count as an enemy marker and then give you a card for that. Uh, and um, increase the draw within the, the keyword. Which means he is now your priority target. But as long as he's on the table, <laughs> still alive, um, Dashiell is, I would say, quite comparable to the Asamis and coming up, chasing on the heels of the Sandeeps in terms of summoning quality. Um, and so there's that. There's also an upgrade that was given over to answer the other guild need, which was mobility. Um, guild relies has fewer movement tricks than other than any other faction by just sheer volume, and those movement tricks are typically short range pushes, as opposed to you know places, leaps, teleports, things like that. So we got an upgrade, um, and this upgrade we got an adjustment rather of no prisoners that now um, has an if a minion has this upgrade and they hit an enemy model with an attack within eight inches, they can teleport a friendly model within two inches other than themselves to the target. Okay, enter mounted guard, which is now going to ride with me up an executioner. It's going to shoot an enemy target within eight inches and then teleport the executioner to end contact with that enemy target. The executioner has now traveled up to something like 15 inches more depending on how you count base sizes before he's activated and is in contact with something he wants to eat so guard has gotten a lot of buffs and you're going to be seeing a lot of guard from guild players for a little while um, it's going to be a good season for them you think it's balanced these changes do you think it's a little too overtuned or what do you feel well these are definite power-ups we'll have to see how well it plays out for balance uh, at the end of the day, these are still power-ups, though, that are on very squishy models. So, for instance, you know, you, you put that upgrade on the mounted guard. Well, he's eight hit points, not much for defensive stats, and no defensive tricks other than demise effect. So, so okay. Blitz him down. Yeah, I don't expect to have that upgrade by the end of turn two, unless I'm just steamrolling you. 
And uh, same with the totem, which, you know, does wonders for me. But I'm going to have, you know, he's going to have a target on his head. And it's, again, a game of how long can I keep him alive? Uh, uh, he's a little bit tougher, though, though, right? He is a bit he, tougher. Serene countenance and protected, I think. Serene countenance and protected. Um, but you also need him up to really get use out of him. You need him up closer to the fray. He's n- he now is much more of a um, second line model to get your mileage out of him. And so he's going to be closer to people who can get in and take more swings at him and deal with his friends. Um, but I think it's good. It changes the keyword a bit. They're going to get more use out of some of their cheaper models to protect um, that totem. Um, and I think it's going to, it's really up the game. We'll have to see if Dashiell is now um, broken, but I, he's definitely, definitely much better than he was. How do you think this impacts the internal faction balance of Gil? Because my read as an outsider is that you play Nelly, you play Dashiell, you play X, and like that's how you do well. Do you? I mean, what are your what is your take? Uh, I know a lot of guild players feel like Dashiell is now far and away our number one master. Um, he's a good at you know as with basically any summoner, he's a good generalist uh, by sheer AP advantage. You can do basically anything on the table. Um, I think with the strats and schemes that we have, marshals actually have a good home now. They are my go-to for public enemies at this point. Um, and then you've got Dashiell, I would say Nelly and Lucius, depending on play. But there's also a lot of people that haven't really gotten the grasp of Nelly or Lucius. So they, they really are very technical keywords to work with. So I think overall, you're going to see a lot more of Marshall and Guard showing up. And then you're going to have some people, the crazies like me, that are getting more mileage out of Nelly and Lucius. Makes sense. Do you feel like um, this, this, these changes override, like, has he replaced a keyword within the rotation such that it's like that keyword doesn't even have a place anymore? Um... I don't know if, if he's replaced. That's going to come a lot down, down to just a lot of preference. I think he's pushed down um, like Sonia and Perdita. Their value's gone even a little bit further down. Um, they're all still playable. I think you could run anything in Guild and do okay in a tournament um, with some work. But um, he's, yeah, he's going to be, I think, a leg up. Uh, if you ran the tournaments a thousand times with a thousand masters and all that, I think he'd come out statistically ahead. Pale Rider and Agent Forty Six, they both got nerfed. Uh, Pale Rider, no surprises there. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no one, no one was surprised that Pale Rider got nerfed. Um, Pale Rider got nerfed twice. I want to say. Okay. Uh, first off, the adjustment, the switch up with his, um, with his bonus action, changing the multi charge thing to be his final, and changing his final to being his mid. And reducing the damage by a lot. Um, right. I mean, it used to be something that could go up to four and be cheated and unresisted and ignores all um, reductions. Yeah, irreducible. Um, also added slow. Well, it took the slow completely off. Um, and so, yeah, it's just doing a lot less. I still think it's a playable model, but it's going to see a lot less regular play. And that's good um, for the game overall. Um, I think the Hatred Unleashed, the final ability, will almost never get used now. Um, in part because it's now just a more cost, and it's going to come later in the game when you have fewer models to affect with it. 
also uh, the alteration such that uh, trigger, you know, charges that came off a trigger, your melee attack no longer gets a trigger. Um, I, that reduces the overall power. Just absolutely, yeah. It's like okay, well, I'm not getting as much mileage out of that, um, and that's something that was not another one of those cases where it's like that was that was an errata. <laughs> that was a big change um, for him. Agent forty six. What they've changed with him is he can't be played the way that we used to play him, which was as a sniper, um, largely. Very few people go into melee with Agent 46 because he has no melee defenses. Nothing. I mean, Nothing at all. He just goes squish. Um, And now if you want to have the anti-cheat advantage of inhuman physiology, you're forcing yourself to be a melee model, which turns him into hunting scheme runners which to me is not very feel good for a nine cost model to slowly hunt scheme runners. Cause he doesn't have, you know, he has one teleport that is complex and cost him AP and things like that. <laughs> so I was like, um, it's not, yeah, I think what they, what they've really done is, is it, a, it's a nerf to elite. It's not an end of the world nerf to elite, but what they're forcing us to go more towards is mass hand attack, which they're avoiding an NPE, and I feel like driving me personally towards an even greater NPE that I have avoided in the past. So, because once I've wiped your hand, all of my models have inhuman physiology. And I have been intentionally not playing that way because I don't want to be a dick. <laughs> I feel like at the moment now, though, it's like, just go ahead and embrace it, man. At, just do it. I have already, yeah, I'm like, you know, never mind. This is happening now. So, this is what's, this is the thing. We're doing this thing now. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's going to mess with a lot of people's go-to plays for Agent 46, and they're going to have to figure out what they want to do with him. But um... I think that, to, to throw my two cents in on the Agent 46 nerf, I feel like that was necessary because, not of his own keyword, but because of other keywords importing him and then copying their own stuff. So one of the reasons that I even, you know flirted with Guild Hoffman is by importing Joss with the Arc Axe and then being able to hand Agent 46 power tokens, having a you-can't-cheat-to-dodge-this-irreducible-damage axe was a lot. That, that, was, that was a really scary combination, and I think that overall, uh, for the health of the game, I feel like the Inhuman, reflect, the inhuman Physiology uh, change was probably for the best. Uh, that being said, I do see now that by forcing him to go into melee, there's a lot more to consider. You can't just, you know, spam riflemen and executes or whatever you would like to do. Um, but the, I think overall that was probably a move in the right direction. No, I think you're right. It, it limits people wanting to cheese him into other keywords because his actual play in Lucius. Okay. Here's how it plays out. Before, you couldn't cheat. Flat, no question, you couldn't do it. All right. Now, you can cheat. I'm going to copy that gun. Cool. You cheated the first time. All right. I'm going to have a better hand than you. I'll probably cheat to beat you. Now I'm going to do it again. And now I'm going to do it again. And now I'm going to... You're... You know, it is delayed. <laughs> it hasn't really changed what his role is going to be. Like, if he really wants to be a, a turret... You can engineer that through hand destruction and quality of your own hand, right. even without the inhuman physiology. That's fair. Cody. Oh yeah. Outcasts. They got they got some love, man. A little a little bit at least. But uh some would say though they got a lot of hate at the same time. 
Rusty, Ionis, Mad Dog, Ashes and Dust. I mean, we've already talked about Terra's completely unplayable in GG1 now. Um, bunch of nerfs got headed out. Do you feel it was too heavy-handed, or do you feel that outcasts were, like, you know, the unsung heroes of, like, destruction? So, yeah, uh, I'm going to just run through these changes in terms of the ones that I think were good and good for the game down to bad. Uh, I think there is a couple that are a little weird. Um, so the Ashes and Dust change is definitely good because he was our most frequent out-of-keyword take. He can kind of just slide into any crew where you needed something that was unkillable by certain other crews. Uh, so he was like, the mo if, if you were going to take out tank, outflank, you just take Ashes and Dust and he's unkillable. Uh, so they basically changed him where he also doesn't do min four, <laughs> you know, while he's doing it for free. Yeah, or min three, depending on uh, what your local area decided to, how they decided to rule the incorporeal. Um, so min three, sometimes min four, depending on where you are. <laughs> and uh, so that was a good change that he's still that unkillable model, but he's not just deleting stuff for free. So I, I like that change. Um, Pride is also a good change. He had a melee sounding action that didn't have a melee icon. So he had guitar bash, but he couldn't engage models so he was really bad if you were ever trying to score stuff because he can't engage things uh so they kind of nerfed him and then um gave him a quote-unquote buff <laughs> by giving his guitar bash an actual melee action um the rusty alice change was good uh she went from move six to move four uh she just never should have been six to begin with it was kind of weird that she was six um so, but going down to four makes her weaker, but doesn't change her for me. So I like, I think it's a pretty elegant change because what she does for me personally is that she projects threat and she still does that. The move four gives her counterplay and that you can engage her and like hit her with disengage actions and stop her from shooting you in the face. I personally, as the levy player, don't really care about you doing that. As long as she's projecting the threat, she's doing the thing for me. But now you get to feel better about doing it. So that's pretty chill. <laughs> well, Matt and Kyle actually commented on that, that that was their, uh, the, the nerf to Rusty's movement was specifically to prevent her from being able to disengage and shoot people yeah. in the face. Yeah, too, I think it's so. a good change. Um, definitely. Prevents, like if you, if your gameplay relies on engaging her and preventing her from shooting something to death, then you, you have some counterplay now. And, but most of the time, I'm not building my strategy off of that. So I don't really care, you know. So it's good for both of us. Um, the Johan change is a little weird. I mean, it's like good. Uh, now he can actually remove conditions. So whatever. Um, so that's cool. The Benny change is where a lot of text comes in. Because Benny, uh, Hamlet is pretty much considered the weakest keyword in outcasts in gg0 i don't think anyone would fight you on that i thought he still had some some weird tech choices uh based off the matchup you're going into but in general he's considered kind of bad um so buffs for benny across the board i would say i liked there was one weird change in that his his blade went down a stat i don't feel that needed to happen uh really and now we get to the sad stuff. <laughs> so Aonis, Aonis changed from being... So basically all he did in cruise frequently was be a 10 stone tax so that the rest of your crew functioned because you needed the pass tokens <laughs> to be able to get fast on stuff. Right. 
so that you could actually get your summons out. Uh, so now his ability to generate this pass tokens has been significantly nerfed. Um, and like I said, Terra, I think this change was kind of the nail in the coffin because um, like we talked about before, the strats and schemes are not very good for her. Uh, I think going into GG1, I would have taken her in maybe 20 to 30% of my games, depending on the strats and schemes. But with this change, it goes down to like 10% maybe. And I played the shit ton out of her. You know, I played the shit out of her. So, um, I don't know. It, it, it definitely makes sense that Aonis is getting this nerf because he has a reference to True Detective on his card. <laughs> so, it makes sense in the first season that he was quite good. And in the second season, he became dog shit. <laughs> We're in the LA season. Uh, no. no. I'm just joking, guys. I actually like season two of True Detective. I don't like Aonis. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I've also sort of... Uh, resigned i've gone through all the stages of grief on this one and just came back to denial and i feel like that's where i live and i expect <laughs> you guys to live in that space with me uh i've decided in my worldview that the devs didn't make this change but some i'm not part of the playtest group so some whiny playtester must just not like past tokens and summons existing in the same crew and they just complained about it and complained about it until they made this small change at the end and if you are that play tester, I uh, uh, hope you stub your toe for a month. Uh, <laughs> the most vile of curses. <laughs> Every day for a month, I hope you stub your toe. You have donkey brains. This is a terrible change. Uh, <laughs> the reason it's bad is because it changes Terra from this interesting crew where you can play this tricky positioning game based off moving fast around and repositioning your crew back into sort of crappy zip where basically all she has now is sort of why speed, don't you just take zip you know? um yeah exactly why don't you just take zip in that moment so i don't see a reason to devote much attention to Terra going into this next season which i think makes this a bad a pretty obviously a bad change i will say it's a bad change <laughs> fair enough i'm gonna counterpoint on that one actually right. playing devil's advocate here I feel like the reliability of just being able to pull your dudes out of space was too good. Like to compare to Dreamers summoning, who also summons models in space and then expects them to unbury. Um, Aeonius, I mean, he was 10 stones, and I'll grant you that, but he basically provided a brain dead way to get your summons out, and your summons otherwise don't have really any drawbacks. Like they're not slow, they're not stunned, nothing. They just, they appear. And. With Aeonius, not only did you get your summons out without having to try, you also got a fat stack of pass tokens for it. Um, so you had clear activation control, which the pass token system had tried so hard uh, to prevent uh, that from being a problem again. And I get that you know time control is Terra's theme, and that out activating your opponent should still be something she does. But it was so easy. Like if Aeonius flips black and ace, it still went off, and that that didn't feel good as an opponent. Where, like, no matter what you did, as long as Terra got her summon off, those summons were coming out and there was nothing you could do about it, and you were going to get out and activate it. And I think removing the suit and giving it a TN was steps in the right direction. Because for getting something out like that and having an advantage like that, having the cost of, yes, I must now actually consider what's in my hand to have 
you know, these summons out without effort and activation control, I think that's a step in the right direction. Well, I'll definitely so, say it you know, steps in me, the wrong direction because she went from being good to being very bad. So that's not, where are we heading if it's the right direction? Are we going to complete well, dumpster fire keyword? So, but again, that's just, I'm being I, semantic I, at that point. So I'm just being a dick. Well, I would. <laughs> so let me counter your actual I know, I mean, I don't, uh, So I don't disagree with you that Terra is currently bad. I just don't think the Aeonius change is the reason. Like if Aeonius's ability had not changed here, people still wouldn't be playing Terra in GG1. And that's GG1's fault, not the nerf to Aeonius. That's fair. Like not being able to place and things like that, or the and then her recover evidence interactions are terrible. Yeah, that's pretty fair. But if she was playable in half of the strats, then she would be like I think I think being a good choice in twenty five percent of the pools is a good place for a crew overall. If you're playing the entire faction, I think being a playable a good choice in ten percent of the crew. Yeah, <laughs> some of us actually play the whole faction, not just one keyword. Audrey, <laughs> weird. Yeah, that's so crazy, weird. Right? Uh, but yeah, I think um, uh, I'll definitely push back about what you said about being no brains because it was definitely similar to more similar to Dreamer than not because it requires you to put fast on enemy models, which inherently is weird and you're giving them a buff. No other crew does that. Um, with Dreamer, you're, you're, one of your actions went off successfully and then you got your summon out. With Terra, you gave them a buff and it's only range six and it has a target number that requires, and it's often stat five. Only on Terra is it something close to reliable and it's range six and she has no melee defenses at all. Unlike, you know, like, she's just Def 5, you know, and you can attest to Def 5 models dying. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, um, I would definitely say it wasn't no brains. Um, it was also a tense. This is the problem when every these AWP discussions talk about summoners is that um, they just see the outcome and not the uh, this sort of machine that's creating this stuff. And with Terra... You had to have your target number that was very high for the summons. You know, well, all summoning target numbers are high. But you also had target numbers on every single action you're doing throughout the crew. Whenever you're burying something, whenever you're doing pretty much everything but Aeonis had a target number. So often when you get to a point where you can put fast on an enemy model, you have maybe a 10 in your hand to do that. And you're just sort of crossing your fingers, right, uh, in a stat five. <laughs> so... It definitely required a lot of work to keep the engine going, to keeping things safe. And now it's, you can still have the engine work. You can still get your summons out, um, but they will just die because you're playing, you're just playing bad zip at that point. You know, you'll still get across the board. It'll still be very quick. But my beef is that it doesn't, she's not unique within the faction anymore. Like she's just kind of like bad zip and bad fix which is an uninteresting change. I do agree with both of your sides of the coin. Like, I think that they're, that both perspectives are fairly valid. Being on the receiving end of Tara a couple of times, I definitely go, thank God Ionis has some kind of like drawback now. But I think it might have been a little too far. Like, I think they could have maybe left the suit in, but give it a target number that's actually relevant Agreed. or what have you. But regardless... 
Um, it's there, and we got to adjust to it. And unfortunately, according to uh, God, Cody Terra is now dumpster fire trash. <laughs> so move on, to, move to Leviticus, everyone, and you know, have yeah, that's the problem. That. Leviticus is We're still gonna... awesome. <laughs> I know, right? Like, he didn't get anything that's, like, made him any less brokenly efficient at what he does. All right, let's take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to finish up the remaining factions right at, and then get to our picks on the good, bad, and the ugly. Howdy friends, here on the third floor you'll find us playing Malifaux and other games on Mats by Mars. They are scratch-resistant, waterproof, wet erase marker compatible, and lighter than neoprene. These mats use a new material that almost eliminates any glare. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. Pick a mat size, pick a design, then choose an overlay like the one for Marvel Crisis Protocol or Malifaux 3rd Edition strats and schemes. It's going to speed up your deployment and the placement of strategy and objective markers. Until the end of June 2020, you can use the new promo code THIRDFLOOR620 to get a 10% discount on your next order. In the notes, you can ask for the Third Floor Wars logo to be put on your mat for free. Again, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR620, that's T-H-I-R-D-F-L-O-O-R-620, to get a 10% discount. All the details are in the show notes. Let's go ahead and wrap up the general talk about Errata with some of the other hot topics and outliers. We had quite the few shakeup on a few models. Archie got knocked around a little bit for what role he now fills. We already mentioned briefly that Mama Z got some pretty sizable nerfs, depending on who you talk to. Arcanists have to learn to play their faction now. Um, and then there's all the 10T adjustments. So let's kind of start with Mama Z. Uh, Andre is the Neverborn player here. Have, have, do you, have you ever actually put her on the table, or are you like Nakima only? No, I have. What are your thoughts on her I next? have uh, put Mamazi on the table uh, a few times, actually. And I think that the changes to her were all reasonable. I feel like upping her secondary master cost was an important move, uh, just because people enjoyed taking her as a secondary master so much. Um, and it wasn't so much that it was broken. It's that people were doing it and not thinking about it. And I think that, you know, less of a balance, more of a, come on guys, try to put some effort in your list building. And I think that was a step in the right direction. And then the other one, the big change being eyes in the night actually needs line of sight to the model she'd like to cast from, I think is also a step in the right direction. I have had frustrating games into Mama Z players, where she is just like behind a huge building and just casting out of her dudes, and you don't really have a way to get around. I mean, I mean, I had wings, but for most people, it's difficult to get to her and actually. Another priceless reaction from Jesse. Yeah. There. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's behind a building. I have no leap in my faction except a master. Oh. Exactly. Oh. That feels bad. But now that she actually has to like see the people she's casting from, it provides uh, both a weakness to her that now she has to actually you know, be visible, and I think that will help a lot of shooting crews out. And at the same time, it also provides counterplay, because if I don't want you to cast out a bad juju, if I put a big model in her face, she has to spend an AP walking around to see him, or she has to try and use a different model. So I think it introduced uh, some, some key points of counterplay uh with that and i'm all about that i think that's good 
I think they. I think the thing that I like most about the changes is that it kind of increased the skill ceiling a little bit. Like she was already kind of a a, a skill ceiling, a high skill ceiling master in general. Like yeah, you can just obey people to like charge in places and stuff like that. But the sheer power of obeys opens up all kinds of crazy shenanigans you can do, especially with her ability to arc and stuff like that. But um, like you said, just being able to hide away and like I get to do what I want for freezies. Um, just, it, it wasn't fun to face on the table, and now you actually have to, like, you know, put, put thought into your positioning for, for Zoraida, if not the, you know, if not the rest of her crew, which you already, obviously, had to do previously. Um, for other faction, going to, uh, the other faction that got really hit for a second, talk about Arcanists. Um, that's definitely been something that's been polarizing. I feel some people are like, okay, they got what, you know, they should have, and other people have been like, oh my god, we can't play Arcanists anymore. Uh, Cody, you're the you're the only one of the four of us who mains a faction who has a model that generates soul stones on the reg for free, basically. Do you think the soul stone miners took took too big of a hit, especially considering prospectors were basically yeah, untouched? definitely. Um, the I mean, I, if I was if I had my druthers, they would have just went from armor two to armor one. That would have been fine. Um, the, this 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 is like a crazy rule. This until the start of your next activation, it's ignored for friendly strats and schemes. That's just weird. That's like, <laughs> I don't know. That, that seems way over, the, I, way too big of an adjustment. Um, I'm curious as to like, why didn't that, why didn't they use insignificant as a language in that? It's like, until the start of your next activation, this model is insignificant. Because like, then it would benefit and at uh, the same you sometimes too, instead of, yeah, yeah. Oh, I gotcha. I think I would have been okay with that though, because like, you know, all right, here, here's a soul stone mine. We're like, we're totally going to like take away your ability to have any kind of functionality when it unburies, but at least it's not a liability when it unburies too. Yeah. It, I mean, I don't know. This one seems a little heavy handed and that it's, I don't, I don't know what you use a soul stone miner for now. I guess the generating stones, stones is good, but if it's not scoring points and generating stones, you just should have brought more stones. Uh, so. I feel like they're really good as anti-scheme runners at the moment. Like, I've, I played a game against Dan Brown recently, and he showed me the power of a Soulstone Meyer being able to just pop up and go, hey, that scheme runner you had over there, it's got some problems now. So, And that's also why, to not be insignificant, they could pop up and eat a scheme. Mm. That's eat a marker, Because they can still take the interact. Um, yeah, I think they meant to, um, well, bury the miner. Uh they wanted to make a point of, hey, guys, you've been running this way too hard. Play the yeah. rest of your faction. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and I think it's still usable. It still has place. Um, our most frequent Arcanist player, uh, Jeremy, I was talking to him about it. And he's like, yeah, I'm still going to find some use for it. But uh, it's definitely not going to be the auto take that it has been. And I think that's what the faction really needs. Because there's a lot of really cool models in Arcanist that were just being ignored because they were cheaper, versatile Machina getting the job done. All right. Speaking of the cheaper, easier, versatile Machina, let's talk about the other one, the Steam Arachnid Swarms. They lost a stat and a built-in onslaught. Um, I personally think that's fair. Some people say they're now worthless. Thoughts? Uh, I was tired of getting Fist of the North Starred by Spider Swarms. <laughs> so I think this was a change for the better. Uh, if You're now my favorite person, Andre. I appreciate that <laughs> reference. <laughs> I mean, it really hits it on the nose, though. I mean, it feels really bad. It totally does. Totally does. Go. Just exploding people's yes, heads. It, and it, 
it came down to like when when a Hoffman gives that thing fast and then it hits you with melee effectively melee seven six times with plus flips to damage. You're just like I don't, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to consistently do into this, and I feel like bringing bringing the stat down was a big thing, but losing the onslaught was really the built-in onslaught. Like they still have access to it, they can still flip it. Um, if you want to relive the glory days, you can slap Soulstone Cash on it and, and burn stone for the mask if you just got to have it. But I feel like they're not so unbelievably reliable that they're just going to see play in places that I wouldn't have expected them, like Karis, who has access to decent beaters, right. but was like, why would I take Elijah when I can just take this thing that eats people? And so I feel like that was... And they were correct. Yeah. That was the worst part. Absolutely. And so I feel like this was a, a, a good move. I mean, obviously it hurts for people that were relying heavily on the, on the on the swarms. But I think to Jesse's point, Arcanists are going to have to sit down and be like, oh man, now I have to use my own actually good models. Yeah, I think um, this makes them no longer... Like, you could take another beater for the same cost and get more mileage. And so I think that's the comparison a lot of people that I've heard so far have been make, making is like, but now it's just not as good. I'm like, well, yeah, but most of those other beaters aren't also going to be able to switch hit and be a, a really good scheme runner at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it just, they can, it did, well, it did everything. I mean, just, yeah. That, and that, and that was the thing is that they were just too good at everything. So they knocked down the beating part. And so you have still a really good utility model that can still drop two markers a turn, can leave engagement with a walk, um, two markers of the turn by bonus action walking between the markers, um, which is always my my first go-to for a scheme runner is can they do two markers a turn? Right, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's still a really strong model and I think it's still got a lot of use, but they're going to have to look at the other models, which is good. You mentioned Soulstone Cash, Andre. Uh, they made a, a diff, uh, minor change to that where you now, it's now enemy models they get Soulstones off of. Uh, I think it was needed. Everyone else agree, or do we have a disagreement there? I mean, I don't think it hit the Soulstone Cash upgrade where it really needed to be hit, I would say. I think that Attuned needed to be the minion buff. Um, I feel like. I agree with that. I feel like there are too many enforcers. The Peacekeeper really sticks out in my mind. Uh, too many models that make too much use of Soulstones that were designed around not having access to Soulstones. Um, mm-hmm. And then giving access to Soulstone use makes them dicey to not be overpowered. And honestly, I'm not really sure. Uh, uh, beyond the edge case of the Soulstone cash bearer dying and granting a Soulstone, there wasn't a ton of friendly models dying engines. I mean, I, I, I didn't see any Sandeep players just exploding gammon left and right. It was Colette where, like, the big thing came Right, happen. yeah, it was the Doves, which, I mean, the Doves were kind of annoying, and I could see how, like, farming up more Soul Stones could be problematic, but at the end of the day, Colette's spending a lot of time and energy resummoning Doves, uh, and as far as things you could threaten me with the Soul Stone Cash, that was not really at the top of my problem list. Um, but... Um, I still think that you're going to get plenty of mileage out of Soulstone Cash as an Arcanist. Like that change as an Arcanist player wouldn't have phased me like at all. I think the big issue with Soulstone Cash that I have is that rules is worded right now. You will still get two Soulstones if you have two Soulstone Cash bearers near an enemy model that dies. Um, and I think that was kind of the the specific gamey problem. Um, but 
that's still in play, and I still think it's a great upgrade. Moving to Resurrectionists, we have Archie's Leap and Move got nerfed. Uh, his Hurl Corpse got nerfed slightly. He lost Ruthless, so lots of changes there. But he can now, he has a bonus action now that allows him to hit people on negatives, and they gave him Rush. So, um, and that's just the tip of the iceberg for Resurrectionists in general. The Valedictorian's now plus one cost. Manus's upgrade got nerfed to basically unplayability, um, which is fine. I think it needed to be there. Rava is starting to be the new hotness. Ha ha ha. Um, all in all, I think the Reser players can't really complain about the situations that have happened in the results of the Serata. I like pretty much every change that was implemented. I have no problems with uh, Archie's uh, role change. What about you, gentlemen? Do you think that they uh, have any, any issues there I'm not seeing? I think Rezzer's pretty clearly won the errata. There's a hot take, I guess. I mean, I think it's pretty hard to... I mean, they got one of their masters got a significant buff, and then uh, Archie and Manos, who were considered sort of the, the big bad boys, uh, got some side grades, I would say. I would say that Manos, even though he nerfed your, your, uh, your really bad MPE problems with him, uh, that making him better into Levy, which in my opinion is one of the best top five masters in the game, um, makes is not a bad place to be <laughs> as a keyword. Like, uh, I think that sort of side grade change for him is like kind of well, it's it's obviously a downgrade in every matchup except for Levy almost. So, I think it's a good place yeah, to be. Yeah, there's a couple of other keywords where like being able to have access to that lantern of souls is going to be very very useful. But it's went from being a this is an always useful you know retainer upgrade um, to, or to being a occasionally useful retainer upgrade, which again I don't have a problem with. But it yeah. is a big change because like you can't do the Wonder Twins anymore. Good. Yeah, well, yeah. Again, I don't think that's I don't <laughs> think that's a problem. I really don't. Um, quick aside on Bayou, uh, Brennan first mate got some nerfs, but the big one for me, um, sorry Oliver was uh, Ma Tuckett can't focus bomb anymore, so you actually have to play her, uh, which, again, I don't think that's a problem. Combined with Bryn's changes, the Soulstone Miner's changes, do you think that uh, it's dropped her down a little too much, or do you think she still has the tools required to get the job done, Jesse? Um, so, yeah. Especially I, with 12 cups of coffee. Like, that, you know, not, not forgetting that I as well. I think she still has a strong keyword um, with a lot of nice depth and variety of play. Uh, I think uh, your go-to option your easy mode button is not mm -hmm. there in the same way anymore which was just jam up a bunch of focus and send them out and kill um so you're still gonna hand you can still do it the one time and so you can still get a nice start going um so is it a nerf yes i think they're still totally playable um as somebody who is looking at them on paper <laughs> i to talked to oliver on that one or some of our other uh bayou folks um, but I know that I have made some noise about that in the past. Well, last and certainly not least for some people, specifically me, is it's my main. Uh, we have 10 Thunders, who did not get his bad as I personally thought they were going to. Uh, monks now work the way they should. Chiaki, Kitty Dumont now works the way they should. Um, Lust got a buff, which is, it's really only Minaku who got a nerf, and then Yasunori got a roll change, more than, less than a nerf. Um, Mast Agent is no longer completely and utterly busted. It's just really strong now. So, uh, do you guys think that they didn't get hit hard enough, maybe? Or do you think that the balance changes are just enough to kind of keep them 
relevant and powerful, but without being obscene. Well, you missed the uh, number one that people are going to be clamoring for, which was the change to Shenlong. Uh, fermented fermented well, that was the, the months. Yeah. I, th- I feel like that was a necessary change, and it now works as they should Indeed. have. Like, there is never a world where Shenlong should have been able to missile into somebody and practically guarantee a kill, and you couldn't stop it. Like, that is never should have been a case. So I consider that as a functional change as what should have been, especially with Fermented River Style, uh, the, the Falling Rave Kick giving him an extra six inches on his charge. Uh, it was just, it was so obscenely overdone. And with all the changes that they've made to bring Dalit back in, you now want to use the other styles. You now aren't going to just missile Shenlong in and be like, haha, I'd kill your master and you can't, and, you know, and that's the end of this discussion. Yeah. Um, overall, I like it. Absolutely agree. Shenlong needed that adjustment. I think that's an okay adjustment as well. Um, as a semi-frequent Asami player who would bring in Monaco Ray almost every time, uh, I wish Katashiro didn't cost as much as they do now, but I get it. <laughs> you know, it's nah. like, all right, yeah, that's yeah. fair. <laughs> I think the thing I like less about the Monaco change is I don't like that her... Uh, her upgrade giving trigger, which I can't remember what it's called and, uh, off the top of my head, Karmic Debt maybe. Um, Karmic Debt. I don't like that that trigger is now on success and not uh, after resolving, because especially considering the concept of like, it's like, oh, well, you're trying to hurt me, so here's you know the Karmic Retribution for that. If you actually get hurt, you don't get Karmic Retribution, which makes no fluff yeah, sense. Fluff to me wise, that is borked, and that's bugged me as well. Um, it definitely reduces her her defensive threat that game going on. Um, I think you're just going to see her a lot less outside of Last Blossom or outside of a case where you have more hand control. So uh, I'm probably going to run her less in Asami, run her more in Yoko and Last Blossom. Which is good because she's still kept versatile for some reason. I, I don't know. I, don't I thought she was that. the single most OP model in the game. So I'm glad really? she got hit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I could have cared less about Shenlong changes or anything as long as Monaco got a big boot stomp. I hate that chick. <laughs> I feel like the changes were kind of... Because she, she went through most of the 3E beta not being versatile, and it all made sense. And then they're just kind of like slapped on there at the end. They just wanted Ten Thunders to have the most versatile models in the game or something. I don't know. But the, uh, the walk back... Where that is to say, where she doesn't function well as a summoner outside of Last Blossom, or if she brings her boyfriend toe to toe in, I agree. I think that's fine. I think that uh, because otherwise, for eight stones, you two can bring her into like a McCabe crew or to a McFang crew, anybody who's generating scrap, and just be like, all right, cool. You don't have to hire any scheme runners this game. I'm just going to spam Katashiro. And for eight stones, that was really really dumb. And you also can't really stop her from doing it previously because of the way that the karmic debt worked. Because if you attack her, I mean, that's just a bad idea. So you can't really attack her, and she's going to get those two Katashira out, and that felt bad. Um, at least if you have to hire an uh, Odato out of keyword as well, you're paying 19 stones for that engine, which is, as an opponent, a lot less annoying in concept. I mean, you still get Odato out of the deal, but I think that this left the faction overall in a much better place. I'm actually surprised they didn't touch uh, Fuhatsu. I'm surprised by uh, that, too. I, I feel like I see him in every 10 Thunders crew I've ever laid down against a table, and the fact that they were like, yeah, he's fine. He does what we want him to do. 
uh, surprised me. Yeah, and I think we're going to see him a lot more with Corrupted. Um, I don't know. I, if you're asking me, uh, it, Craig, uh, I mean, sorry, Craig. Ray, your initial question was if you think <laughs> 10 Thunders need more nerfs. Uh, sure. I don't know. But uh, I think this is a good place. I would have liked if, well, I don't I don't know if anything was nerfed into the dirt. I know a lot of people don't like Yatsunori yeah. now. Yeah, but he's still useful. It's just that he's he's not like, you know, an auto take like, oh, well, I, I have 10 stones. What do I do with it? Yasunori, of course, you know. Was he 10 stones? Oh, it was ten stones. Yeah, one of his nerfs is that he was. One of his nerfs was that he's now eleven. Yeah, they brought they brought up He's just now eleven. He was the cheap, not quite writer. Writer now he's writer cost. So basically, yeah, Jesse. I want to talk about what we thought uh, are the good, the bad, and the ugly here. As a ten T player, my only why did you do this bad moment was Monaco's defensive trigger, um, which we already discussed. Just it's the fluff thing that's killing me. Um, I think the miners were an ugly. And I feel that could have been more elegantly handled. And I felt that the way they handled Archie was actually quite good. I like that they changed the, that they did the role reversal. Uh, or the role shift, I should say. And all the nerfs made sense, and then the buffs that they gave them also made sense. So it, it feels really good to me. What do you think, what would you select as your top picks for good, bad, and ugly for this errata? Or the fact scheme, whichever. Just go for it. Let the hatred flow through you. Or, you know, happy bunny children, sure. whichever. Uh, for the good, I think overall, they f- adjusted the models that we're seeing too much play to the detriment of the faction. And that fits for the miners, that fits for the pale rider and guild. Models that were eating up table space and meta space that really, um, you know, could be taken up by other models as well and actually explore a faction. I like the idea of really exploring what's out there. Um, so some bad, I think, is just I wish... The um, I wish they were pushing more for consistency rather than going back to the 2E method when it comes to FAC and errata. Meaning, you know, establish a rule by which you can resolve questions and problems for texts and for weird things that come up. And this is like, you know, our, um, our state effects and things like that. Um, establish a rule for the TO to make a decision by. Don't make individual model decisions that don't give consistency. Because every time we reduce that consistency, we make the game harder and harder for new players to enjoy and for TOs to manage. And I think we're just sort of drifting away from that. Um, ugly? I'm not sure that I have an ugly. We have a couple of gripes about um, strats and schemes that could maybe be cleaned up a bit. But um, I think mostly we're in the good with some kind of gray zone bads. Feeling pretty good. Oh, cool. Andre? I would have to agree with Jesse on the bad, I feel like an FAQ that leaves me asking more questions than when I had started um, could definitely use some some relooking at and and some changes. Uh, I mean, specifically with another and things like that, or how the falling damage to, isn't consistent with killing something through hazardous and things like that. But uh, as far as the good, I I liked a lot of like the what I call the public enemy nerfs. Uh, where, like, stitched, those got hit, but in such a way that I still feel like I'd be excited to take them as a Dreamer player. And actually, for me, uh, I actually feel okay taking them as a Dreamer player now. There was kind of a like an honor-bound, God, what do I, do I really have to do this to people? <laughs> and now I feel like I can take them without feeling like a jerk. Uh, and I feel the same way about Shen Long. Like, I previously was not considering Shen Long because I feel like a bandwagoner. 
Um, but now that he's in a good adaptable spot without just mindlessly spamming uh, drunken Kung Fu everywhere, I feel like there's a lot more intrigue in how he will play. And I think that's going to be a lot more fun. And I've actually been considering uh, running Shimlong more now. And so that's my good. Uh, as far as the ugly goes, mm, I would have to say the the Soulstone Miners and things like that, where they where they hit things too hard, because um, it's always going to feel bad, even if they do fix it later. To have to walk back nerfs um, isn't isn't a good isn't a good feeling. I'd say. Howdy. Yeah, I think um, overall I'm pretty excited for this season. Um, I think these strats are pretty cool, and I'm, I've am i definitely been reinvigorated to sort of discover how my faction plays through the strats and schemes in this new season. Um, so I'm definitely excited about that. I'm glad that they were willing to... Also, one of the good things about this errata that we sort of haven't really touched on is I, I liked that they took this long for it to come out from the release of 3, and it definitely feels like it was a little more, cons- like, uh, you know, they let things roll up a little bit. At least with FAQs, like, in my dream world, like, FAQs would be something that comes out frequently, but the errata would take, you know, they would sit on those changes for a while and really see uh, how the meta um, adjusts to things becoming more popular and stuff like that. Um so I'm excited to play a lot for sure. And I think this, the strats and stuff are pretty cool. Um, the, the exception to that is the public enemies, which I think is just really bad. And I hope TAs, TOs don't put it in. Like if I go to a three round event and public enemies is one of them, I'm going to have an eyebrow up, uh, because <laughs> I think it's really bad. Um, and the ugly, um, so I've, I complained about my faction quite a bit and, uh, uh, I think it's on one hand, I'm excited to play some different stuff, which I think that was very cool. Um, the one thing I don't like is when things is, is, I don't really care so much about external faction balance. Um, I feel like that's just such a meta thing that I can't really see. I'm not the developer. I'm like a player. So I can't like, for example, when we talk about 10 thunders, I can't really talk about like, you know, what needs to be, what is really the problem there because I'm not seeing all the machinery behind it. But internal faction balance, I have like a very in-depth understanding of. And when I sell this game to other people, I often say it's the most internally faction balance game I've ever played. That all of the keywords play like you would see them on the table. They play like they read. And I feel like there was a couple of changes that might have lessened that, at least within my faction and uh, but then they also had some successes, right? Because like Archie and Manos were everywhere and I feel like they won't be now. Same with the uh, Soulstone Miners. So I, I get that that's always going to be a process. So for me, that's like a little ugly, if you will. But overall, I'm pretty I'm pretty freaking excited, dude. Would you guys say that there's any like complete like misses that like things that you were like, okay, I'm really excited for this fact and I'm ready to come out. This really needs to get addressed and then nothing. I might be alone in this, but every time I turn on the NC chat, they're talking about that take the hit ability. Does that not need an FAQ? That ability makes no sense to me. Like every every time, always like, okay, it works this way, but it works this way. None of which seems intuitive to me. So 
I would. I wish that that. I guess I'm asking for an errata rather than an FAQ because it just doesn't make sense. Like Are four we different, on different ways. NC chats. <laughs> I don't remember talking about that. Yeah, for same a while. one, dude. Um, it's been it's been a minute, but I know what he's talking about with like does terrifying trigger like you know what happens when like you know you take the hit in this scenario and it just seems like it, it's a it's a recurring topic enough that like okay maybe this needs to be clarified at some point. Well, I think that speaks to Cody's desire for frequent facts, and um, I think they've I think they've done uh, a good job. I mean, they built a game that we all love. And they've done a good job of rotting it, and it is still one of the, the best balanced minis games out there. No question. And what we are really doing is just griping on the little bits because, you know, everything else is fine. You know, so it's, you know, it's easy to fuck about. But I wish sure, yeah. that we had, I guess this could be my ugly, I suppose. Um, I really wish we had more of a forum, a more frequent forum presence from somebody who will come in and say, hey, this question has been bumping around for about a month now. People are losing their minds. Here's a call from the heavens. Like, here's a decision. And right, and isn't that, there doesn't have to be necessarily a fact released on it. It can be part of the regularly scheduled fact that's upcoming. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, like, even waiting six months can be frustrating if it's something where they if they already know the decision sure. they're going to make. I get you know making sure they're looking right, at all right. the angles, but the, the not that many questions like that really come up. There are lots of questions from people who just haven't really come to terms with the reality. And then there are the questions that really has the people has all the people who are working hard, you know, the the Dugs, the Doug Bowmans of the world who are trying to figure out how the rules work. And we're like, yeah, flip a coin is what we're down to. <laughs> and those questions I wish they would come in and just give answers to. Flip the coin for us, please. That's fair. Yeah. Just make a decision so we can stop debating it, please. All right, well we're gonna take one last break and we're gonna come back and wrap up. Hi, I'm Doug, and I'm a $5 patron of Third Floor Wars because Craig promised he'd play as the Arcanist if the Patreon reached $300. I want to see him suffer. Howdy, folks. want to give a quick shout-out to some of our newest patrons. A uh, big thank you to Marcus Weiss, John Aker, Marcus Moore, Drawn X, Joshua Story, and Peter Poor. You and all of the other patrons are the reason we're able to uh, push out all of this content, and we appreciate it. All right, gentlemen, I got to say, I'm pretty happy overall. I think we did a pretty decent job of not being too heavy handed by and large. The shakeup is definitely going to be interesting. Andre, would you agree with that? I definitely would. Even as someone who was in the faction, I feel like got hit the hardest by some of the changes. I still feel like the the changes they did implement overall were positive and and for a healthier, more fun game. Uh, And I am definitely excited to move into GG1. Cody and Jesse, we kind of already got your feeling on that. You both are very excited for moving into the GG1 season. Any hot takes before we sign off today? No, sir. No. Excited to get the chance to play new stuff. Always excited to get the chance to play Ah, English. I speak it. Always excited to... Always (laughs) excited to have a chance to play new stuff. I can say this phrase, I promise you. All right, well... Thank you very much for your time, gentlemen. It's always a pleasure to have you gents on the show. Uh, did anyone have any plugs they want to put out for any some products they're currently working on that might be uh, hitting the interwebs? 
Uh, I got a podcast with my buddy Swamp Fiends where he's like new to the game and we talk about the road from new to getting into tournaments and then uh, getting better. So check that out. Nice. And do you just look that up on like Spotify? Do you have a website for it or anything like that? It's available on everything. Okay. There you go. All right. Well, that's a wrap then. We thank you very much for joining us today, gents. Thank you. You can say thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Ray. It was a good time. I mean, if you didn't enjoy your time, then like, you know, it's the time to say it too. It's like, yeah, screw you. No, no, I, I want you to keep that long pause <laughs> no, for the video, please. Just so people understand the field. Mm. Yeah. The awkwardness yeah, just the, really the, drills it in. Well, personally, I was yeah. reading the outro from Craig here at the third floor. I was like, wait, is he going to read that? <laughs> no, I was not going to read that. But like, you know, yeah, I'm from, from Craig alone here because I don't exist. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, You're actually just the, the the Jekyll to his hide, you know. I, I really kind of am. Or which one's the which one's the monster? Jekyll, right? They're both the monster. No, hides hides the monster. I'm the hide to his. I'm the hide to his Jekyll. That's the way it is. Exactly. Exactly. That's what it is. I'm the monster he keeps in the closet. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a wrap then. From Craig and I here on the third floor, as always. Please like and subscribe if you enjoy our content, or consider supporting us on Patreon to get early access to all our podcasts and more. You can find us on Facebook or at thirdfloorwars.com, and you can find more tabletop talk at any of your favorite streaming services. Heads up for some future episodes, still trying to drum up some interest here. We've got started the Solo Tactica podcast series, and we'll be discussing and answering your amount of phone questions and other general wargaming questions, so please feel free to send any of those in to tabletoptalk at thirdfloorwars.com with the subject line questions. This is Ray. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time on The Third Floor. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest gaming apparel and gear. While you're there, check out how the USFO Tour is shaping up. How does your conference compare to the others in the United States? Where do you rank nationally? Get those models built, painted, and on the table so we can see you at the U.S. Masters Invitational in October of 2020. Also, rate and write a review on this podcast for us. It really helps us find people almost as cool as you are. Thanks for listening. Howdy friend, Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast.